three, two, one. Sardonithini Castano here, the uh, <laughs> internet's uh, busiest movie podcast, and it's time nice. for me to introduce who's all here. I am Adam from YMS. Who who else is here with me right now? Anthony from the Needle Drop. Hell yeah! <laughs> oh, perfect! Wow! I just ju- I jumped in. You. I took charge. He fucking sniped okay. you. <laughs> you beta. Well, we always argue about who goes first. So. That's true. We're too polite. I jumped um, I'm in. I'm Alex, Alex from I Hate Everything, and finally, <laughs> I'm Ralph from Ralph the Movie Maker. YouTube.com slash no. Ralph the Movie Maker. Do that every week too. Mm. Yeah. What's up, everybody? It's annoying. How are we all doing? How are we doing, boys? I'm pretty good. Had an I'm interesting week. Not really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, how does it feel to be our first uh, podcast guest? Oh, it feels Ralph. pretty good. I'm pretty excited <laughs> to be surrounded by such a, I guess a, a bunch of assholes. A, what, what, what a <laughs> frownies! What, you know what? What a, what a panel of internet celebs. I'm yeah, just yeah. Like, <laughs> a diverse group of assholes. I feel like I'm. I feel like planet. I'm the target of the gangbang right here. So mm. yeah, oh, <laughs> perfect. That's how I feel. It's it's like right. it's like the internet's version of the Oscars where we all just congratulate each other. Look at how famous and popular we are. Congrats everybody. We're the best. Give her some Congrats. Let's throw candy at mm. normies. Everyone gets an I award. love me. Do you love me? Peasants. I love me. I can't wait for the speeches. So we have nothing planned. Off to a great start. <laughs> what a shit show. Um and so we don't e- we don't even know how this is going to work dynamic wise with no. podcast guests this is we're kind of just feeling it out so uh, no pressure anthony well you know honestly um, it's it's a lot like a relationship the more you actually get really meta and talk about it the more you actually just ruin it so let, let's yeah. let's just yeah. let's just get into the topic <laughs> and just see how point. it goes yeah. yeah all right so um last week we started a discussion on the creative process of our video making and we only got through half of it we kind of just started talking about uh how we got started with our videos and what drove us to create our channels. Uh, Mm. So today we're going to continue that discussion. Since Anthony was not here in the last episode, Anthony, how did you start making videos? I basically got started making videos as kind of an experiment because for well over a year I was running a music blog that really wasn't getting off the ground like I was getting an okay amount of traffic but nothing I could live off of or nothing that was telling to me yeah I'm I'm really on the right path here and before getting into covering music or music journalism or even just regular journalism I was a pretty big YouTuber and YouTube fan as far as just like avidly watching some other people and just like taking in a lot of content on the platform and uh, out of all the years that I had been on there since like 2006 or so i'd never seen anybody kind of formally reviewing an album on a regular basis like mm-hmm. I, I didn't know there to be mm-hmm. a channel about reviewing music so i figured i would just try my hand at it from what i understand you used to include clips of songs more regularly and then kind of just gave up on that from content id or something yeah pretty much i, I did that throughout all of 2009 and this was before you pretty much started a channel on YouTube and it was just automatically like partnered. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. Before then there was like mm-hmm. a partnering yeah. process. Like your channel had to get to I a remember that. of views and subscribers. And then you would sort of submit to that, uh, submit to sort of the partnership program. And then they would kind of overview mm-hmm. your channel. And 
make a secret quiet decision as to whether or not they were going to let you be partnered or not. Like some of my friends or people who I knew on the platform would wait like months before they got like either rejected or an answer or anything. YouTube was a very different place. Back uh, in the yeah, day. we had the star system. You either get one or one oh, or five yeah? stars. Oh, man. Uh, what, there's what like else? an old screen cap I found on my computer of the old channel layout. Yes. I miss it. And you could leave a comment on the yeah, channel. I and also, I, I think it. like, I, I think either ads or comments were on the side. Or were they always underneath? Yeah, the description was like on the side. Yeah, they, they were on the left. Yeah, they were oh, at the side. Yeah, yeah. comments were on the, the side. Comments were on like the side. Yeah, and the and the subscribe button. And people were like, "Be sure to subscribe to my channel." And they point yes, to the left. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> oh, I miss those. I miss. I miss, those days. I miss the. I think it was the second generation of YouTube comments. Uh, the, re- remember when it was just two top comments? Yeah. And they changed yeah, after every every thousand comments, it would be a new top two. I miss that. The thing I miss the most about YouTube, the old YouTube. And it's something that I wish that they could effectively bring back in maybe a way that's a little bit more effective because I, I understand why they got rid of it because people would just spam the shit out of videos that were bigger and more popular. But um, mm-hmm. given a lot of the political and social discourse going on on the platform now, like one of the most interesting things about old YouTube was just the response system. Like you could literally mm-hmm. post a video as oh, a response yeah. to another video and then you'd be able to watch the video and underneath it you would see all the responses. But then after a mm-hmm. while you know, the responses would only be quote unquote responses because, you know, you would see just like a bunch of spam. Yeah, exactly. You just see spam and bullshit down there Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with the video that you're responding to. People would just label their videos as responses in order to try to get more traffic onto them. Maybe there's some kind of way to just disincentivize people from spamming using that tool. But I kind of thought that that was a a cool way of allowing people to upload and interact with each other. I miss it. A lot. Yeah, me too. But apparently, I don't know. Like, it it seems like a lot of the times companies just remove certain features and they say, well, nobody was using it, but everybody I talked to was like, yeah, I used it. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I saw people (laughs) using it all the time. People used it, but it got abused so often that you can't have the video responses anymore. Between the reply girls and the people who did it just for attention. I I completely understand why they did that. Yeah, it was it was it was really shit. It was really exploited, but I don't Mm -hmm. know. There might have been a way that they could have figured out I don't know. Listen, I mean, people, a lot of the time, like in groups, uh, people are very much like cattle. And and that's not to, you know, sort yes. of like shit on the human race or anything. But the thing <laughs> is, if you effectively come up with a way to sort of guide them into participating in a kind of behavior that you want them to, mm-hmm. they'll do it. There's a million social experiments that uh, kind of support that idea. It's, it's funny because as soon as you bring that up and say like, yeah, most people aren't leaders, Everybody's like, well, I'm a leader. Yeah. Like, nobody thinks that they're <laughs> not a person me. that is easily persuaded or influenced, you know? And whether or not you are a leader kind of depends, I think, on the context or the situation that you're in. Like, some mm-hmm. people who might take a leadership Yeah, role. maybe you're a leader in something. Yeah, exactly. So, Alex. Yes, Adam? What the fuck is your dumb video making process for your stupid videos for babies? <laughs> Well, okay. we're very mean, to Alex, for some reason. Yeah, I, I, get I was being as nice show. as possible. I was holding back really? a lot. That's not I mean, that's nice. considering. I was being yeah, polite. I, so. I mean, he is the best YouTuber here, so we just have to kind of break his balls a little bit. Mm-hmm. Aww. Aww. That's so nice. <laughs> How does it feel that the needle drop thinks you're the best YouTuber? We do, we do it out of jealousy. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Your okay. channel sucks. Fuck. Okay. You. <laughs> I'm so confused. If I, if I saw you in person, okay. I would, I would body slam me, beat the fucking shit out of you, and then I, I assume that just like any other moron, you just keep your 
you just keep your fucking computer perpetually <laughs> logged into your channel. So I'm going to log on to that shit and just delete that shit. I would beat the <laughs> shit out of you and give you a kiss. And then after all of it, after I deleted your fucking channel, I'll give you a kiss. <laughs> Anthony, Man, I never knew you, you were this vicious. I said, I, I said I'd give him a kiss. <laughs> this okay, is, uh, well, that's true. Am I now in an abusive relationship with Anthony? And also, Anthony? Have, have you seen me negatively review an album? You know I can be mean. <laughs> that's uh, true. Well, yeah. Who's the guy who made that worst album that year? With the guy who used to be oh, like Corey a celebrity. Uh, from that, yeah. Corey Feldman. That's that was, it. A, that was a great that, album. That video. That's easily the it's, best it, video it on your channel. What was it called? Like holy, holy <laughs> to the something. It is. It is a classic record in a way. That album you see art. The music videos, right? Oh my god! You know what's so terrible about what's so terrible about that record and and me kind of influencing people to listen to that album? One, I have been fucking banned from his live shows. Meanwhile, nice. meanwhile, what? I see pictures, I see videos of his live shows, and it's my fucking fans going to his live shows. So it's like <laughs> the only reason you have people lining up to see you at, at these fucking venues is me, and I can't, I can't go see it. You won't let me in. So that that's one wow. thing that's aggravating. Yeah, Daddy Derek. That's one thing that's aggravating. Blocked me on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Daddy, Daddy Derek. <laughs> They're there to see him ironically, Daddy Derek right? Needs to send you a fucking thank you card every year. Yeah. Anyway, that's, exactly. that's one aggravating thing. The second aggravating thing is that what's so shitty about a lot of these streaming platforms is that when they recommend you something in quotations. They're not really doing it based mm. on taste or anything that actually links one artist to of another course. artist artistically. It's it's all just listening algorithms yeah. and, and listener habits. So, of course, people who watch mm. me religiously are listening to shit like Death Grips and Animal Collective and Danny <laughs> Brown and Swans and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, of course, now when you listen to Death Grips on Spotify, one of the first recommended artists that pops up is like Corey Feldman. And, and vice versa. That's you listen awesome. to Corey Feldman, it's like, hey, you like Corey Feldman? You might also like Swans, or you might also like Danny Brown, yeah. or you might also like Death Grips. I think there's some like really terrible movies I've recommended that didn't have many uh, much attention on the IMDb, and then you go to them, and mm -hmm. it's like, recommended for you, Synecdoche, New York. Yes. <laughs> like next to like a Neil <laughs> yeah, Breen film. I have the same issue, because I have an IMDb, and like whenever my movies are your IMDb like, is people gone. like this movie... Well, my my uh my account is that's a long story, but <laughs> we yeah, won't we get into that. We explained it last time. Uh huh. But my IMDb page, there's uh the movies I made, and then linked to those are oh, if you like Ralph's movies, you'll like Love on a Leash. You'll like uh, God, <laughs> mm. what are the endless amount of shitty movies we've reviewed? Stuff like chips. That. Anyway, chips, chips. Well, chips is actually a great movie. But chips ahoy. We asked Alex what his process was, and then we completely derailed. So I would like to apologize formally to Alex. You only need to Alex, apologize what, to what me. Is your, what is your creative process? Before your you process? make a video, are, to take you, are guys you looking back. for something to hate? And once you've found the thing that you hate, like what, what, do, you, what do you decide right then and there? <clears throat> I decide if there's enough meat on the bone to to fill mm -hmm. out a 10 minute and one second video that's the most yeah. important thing guys <laughs> 10 minute one second uh-huh <laughs> you know that ad algorithm fucking good for how you, far dude. back are we going here we're going back to well you we explained began. your roots last time okay okay so you have to of, of course you have to have an idea first right you, you need so i sit down I, I think of something man i you know what i hate i hate supreme clothing let's let's see what, what we hate about yeah supreme and then and then like <laughs> and then like Me every <laughs> I'm sure like all of us, we sit down, we we note, we brainstorm, we oh you're not allowed to say brainstorm. Spitball. What? what is it now? Why Mind not? map. In this country, in the yeah, in the UK you're not allowed to say brainstorm. Is anymore. that like a Nazi is it, is it reference speech? now? <laughs> Dude. Is that 
this kind of uh, anyway that, that that's that's its own tangent but <laughs> yeah don't say anything that'll get you better you watch yourself before the fucking <laughs> yeah, government comes in you're going to hear the fucking knock on the door with the sirens. well let's yeah. just say that you committed the crime in another country that you're recording from somewhere else right yeah, now yeah 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 okay i was in oh my God. Uh, so they, i don't Queens. think they can jail you if you said something in another country can they is that a part of the law i, I wouldn't put i wouldn't put it past it um i don't th i don't I'll think it's worth risking but yeah so <laughs> Well. No, that's, that's the thing, man. But I, I don't want to go down this route because this is a rabbit hole right here. But yeah. Going back to the the vids, um, you write videos. You can you can spend I don't know, depending on the subject, big chunky amounts of time coming up with ideas, writing what com whatever comes to your mind, and you eventually get it into a state which is uh, you think is finished. You maybe get a couple of people to read it, and then. We move on to my personal least favorite part of making videos, which is the the, the reading of your script. I don't know how you guys mm. feel about the the audio mm. bit. I personally find it really uh, frustrating because yeah, one of my least favorite parts too. Yeah, because like right. when you're editing a video, you have complete and total control over this machine. That like when you press right click it's always going to right click but there's just something to me and the way my mind works or when i'm reading the words of a page and i imagine the way i'm talking i want it to sound a certain way and if i can't get my voice to sound the way i really want it to or the inflections to sound the way yeah. i really want it to i find it really frustrating and it's one of those things where it's like if you if you've written a video about i don't know the smosh movie and it's five pages long that that can be i don't know what it is for you guys but i can record upwards of like an hour plus of audio for a video that is edited down to 15 yeah. 20 minutes yeah it's about the same for me i i do a lot of multiple takes my least yeah, favorite same. part is when if my mouth is too dry i start hearing these like little like lip smacks which by the way ralph you do a lot <laughs> after yeah, editing this podcast <laughs> you know apparently uh, biting into an apple is the best thing to do oh before oh perfect um, take a note from simon apparently King. it solves perfect. that issue um hmm. i didn't know that do any of <laughs> wow. you guys do like vocal warm-ups or anything like that no no well how how close smoke a you cigar. sit to your script how close do I? I, yeah, I, I? I used to stick to it kind of religiously, but now I, I throw in way more stuff because mm -hmm. um, you just become more confident in what you're doing. So I don't know what you guys are like in terms of that are, sort are of you thing. the same way, Adam, or Anthony? Because I think Anthony's way more improv I used to do like uh, me, but vocal we'll warm-ups when I worked some weekends in public radio uh, to sort of just get ready yeah. on mm -hmm. the microphone because I wanted to kind of warm up the bassier side of my voice as I was kind of talking into the microphone. And, mm -hmm. and when you're on public radio, you have Suave. to have like this very even, you know, very flat, easy, easy tone. listening. You know, you're listening to WNPR, yeah. WNPR blood, WNPR blood, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And, you know, you don't want to just be too animated on the microphone or anything like that. I mean, for me personally, uh, mm -hmm. like Adam was saying, I just kind of got to make sure my lips aren't too dry or whatever or certain words become hard to say like still to this fucking day i still i still have trouble every once in a while with the uh, the word album that's such an important word <laughs> if i'm throwing it too quickly into a sentence like it, it it'll album you know like the the b won't, the b won't actually come out it'll just be album Some, sometimes the word film gets me yeah, and I'll and I'll just need to like redo the whole sentence Boom. just to say album, or maybe I'll just like switch over to the word LP 
just like change it up a little bit because sometimes it's a little easier mm-hmm. to say. Fuck <laughs> but it. if you're just always saying LP all the time, like my fans are going to pick up on that as a meme and just be like, why is he saying LP so many times? Anthony, do, do you, you strike me as having kind of a, a, a looser format. Do, do you script your videos in the same way or is it more kind of note based? I do have a script, but it depends on the review. I mean, I do have quickie reviews every once in a while that I do where I don't do a whole lot of heavy editing or writing beforehand because the the issue that I have with the album or my critique of the record is just so basic and surface level. Like the flaw of the album is so clear as day that you don't really need to dive too deeply into it. Another reason I'll kind of do one of those reviews is maybe I wasn't getting that many requests about it, but I kind of felt like I should talk about it because it's sort of relevant to at least a a section of the musical conversation. But typically I I go Mm. into a review pretty heavily with like a, a bullet pointed script a bullet pointed script um of just like everything that i want to say about the record the flaws the pros the cons the uh, positive highlights on the record the worst songs on the album what i think could have been better about the record overall what i think the artistic statement of the album is Uh, of course there are some albums that Mm -hmm. you know don't warrant a lot of this discussion because some records really aren't that deep at the end of the day but yeah on the occasion that you do have like a uh, to pimp a butterfly, for example, uh, you know, not only will I hit upon all of those things, but the review is going to end up being 20 minutes and chances are I've shot like maybe an hour of like footage of me fucking up or kind of redoing lines or retooling <laughs> things that I'm mm-hmm. trying to say just to get like the right thing out. Have you guys ever, um, done it, done a video entirely through like without a script completely improvised? Have you ever done That's that? Mm-hmm. Almost every single Frequently. one of my videos. Really? I don't. I don't do you? scripts. The only um, the, the YMS ones. And the, the YMS really? ones. The, I take point form courses? notes just to make sure that I don't miss anything. And even I mean, there's been YMS reviews where I haven't. Um, I kind of i I kind of see it as you know I could be typing up a script at my desk, or I could be writing it just by speaking one sentence at a time and cutting out the middleman. You know. Because I can just write it as I say it. Is that's my yeah? Because if you're working with there. if you're working with audio, that's interesting. It's not working. You just cut it out and just re-record whatever. Yeah, with my format, like every single sentence is chopped up anyway, so I don't need to have super long form single takes in my videos. You know, I'm essentially just doing jump cuts yep. without the video, so I can press record, say so. I just saw blah blah blah, and it was blah. Stop record. Think about what I'm going to say next, etc. So that's that's usually what I do. Um, yeah, I never would have guessed that. I, yeah, I, I would have guessed that you used a script. No, no, I never use a script. You don't like jot down all the things that you want to say, or you you don't like jot down. If it's a larger form YMS review, I'll have point form notes. I'll 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 write it in a way that only I could possibly understand it anyway. So I'll be like. Yeah. dumb thing yeah. here and maybe i'll have a time stamp so like for wrink- wrinkle in time you didn't you didn't write any of that you were just like bam oh wrinkle in time i took no notes at all because i don't want to be yeah. an asshole in the theater oh it's <laughs> scribbling shit down <laughs> well, i didn't mean like writing down know. while i mean <laughs> just like before. writing down what you were going to say before yeah, yeah. I, oh, I don't well, think any of us write it down during the movie here's what i did for wrinkle in time and what i do with a lot of the um quickie reviews or you know Mm -hmm. in theater kind of reviews is i'll watch it with a friend um or by myself but if i have a friend um then pretty much right after the movie i'll be like okay let's recap what 
just happened and we'll talk about it and I'll be, you know, jotting things down in my phone during that point in time of just like, okay, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this just while it's fresh in my head, but there's no script. It's just, it's essentially just Mm. notes that I'm jotting down. So I remind myself to talk about uh, certain aspects of the film or certain plot points that were stupid. Well, no, that that actually makes a lot of sense because the process of doing that is a lot like writing it down in a way because when you are experiencing something with a person and then you're able to talk to that person afterwards about that experience in a way they're able to actually validate what you went through and kind of confirm whatever it is you're thinking whereas by yourself you kind of need to maybe put a little bit more thought into it to kind of remember or recall what exactly it is that that you watched i mean one of the fastest and, and quickest reviews and, and one of the better reviews I had ever done actually was a recent one where um, I did a review of, uh, of Eminem's Revival album, uh, which was a, an incredibly shitty album oh, you know, yeah. and an incredibly negative mm. review. But yes. throughout the entire listening session of that, of that album, uh, I actually had a friend that I was listening to uh, the album with online. And mm-hmm. throughout the whole thing, we were just like, you know, just aghast at just how many shitty moments were on the record, number one. And number two, like pretty much anything and everything I thought about the album, I was able to bounce off of him instantly. And he was like, yeah, that's that's absolutely the case. You know, mm-hmm. Whereas before, I might need to listen to things like two or three times just to confirm like, okay, that's actually like what it is or what I've heard or how I feel or what exactly is kind of being, I guess, kind of uh, communicated here. I've got a li- little bit more to say about my uh, process, but uh, what about you, Ralph? You didn't really talk about yours that much I, i'm i'm like you adam i just make it up as i go along yeah i don't know about you guys if you if you're reviewing something bad do you tend to write down way more notes than if it's good because uh, it's like yeah i do yeah depends <laughs> what kind of because bad just does, like, that depends what kind of good if something's yeah if something's like really good it just pours out of you like oh man the cinematography was great and the music was great but if it's something bad you just want to write down everything that you could possibly think of because you don't want to miss anything because there's so much bad shit in it that's usually how i tend to work i would say that that's true for uh a lot of uh movies but my longest running series is my synecdoche new york one and that's a movie i really like Mm -hmm. So it really depends on just how much there is to pick up on uh, when it comes to a film. Um, We're going to have to end this segment of the podcast really shortly. I just wanted to... Oh, no. Well, yeah, we got to... I'll I'll let you end it, Ralph. I'll I'll give you a little bit um, to finish it off because you didn't really say much. Um, Oh, no, I don't uh, even want to say... I want to ask Anthony more shit. Okay, let's do one more question on it and then we'll go on to another thing. Well, I was going to say, Anthony, how do you, because you make so many videos, I think way more than any of us do. Yeah. How do you keep doing, I mean, essentially, you're, you're it's the same format every time. How do you change it up? Do you ever find yourself getting bored with it? You know, how do you reinvent yourself every once in a while to try to just keep it fresh? Well, honestly, you know? uh, it, it does kind of get to a point where <laughs> I'm, I, my, my videos on my review channel, it's, it's really just like kind of like working on an assembly line. And, and that's mostly because I don't yeah. see my videos as being particularly creative. I see them more as just like, this is a service I'm providing. Uh, and not to say that like, you know, okay. my opinion is God's gift to the earth or anything like that. It's not like that. But I have an audience that is demanding that of me. And I'm just like trying to supply them with that. Yeah. You're definitely okay. the movie guy. Uh, not the movie. Uh, <laughs> the music guy. That, uh, like the whole internet goes to. My apologies for saying that. But yeah. But I mean, it, it does get you know, monotonous, which is why I try to, you know, break it up and do 
more recreational activities in my personal life. I mean, lately I just kind of spend a lot of time with my family and that's kind of how I unplug. But previously, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a great way to unplug through that and just really kind of break up that cycle was the meme channel. And uh, and that obviously I've sort of laid to rest because I just can't fucking monetize it on YouTube. However, um, F. I have been shopping it around to just kind of see if other, you know, platforms might be interested in supporting it. But, uh, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm exploring it, but I'm not sure if I want to just, like, turn the meme review into another needle drop. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because part of the thing mm-hmm. about that is the plan was that I could really do anything. You know, I could get up in the morning and just decide, uh, well, this week I'll do a meme review. Or this week I'm going to come up with a totally different segment and just fucking wing it mm-hmm. and you know staple Creative myself freedom. on camera yeah exactly and just like go fucking totally nuts um mm-hmm. you know but but uh, the fantano channel which i started a little under a year ago has been a pretty good outlet for me to just talk about a variety of different things that um you know i don't typically have to, the the opportunity to on the main channel or if i do i have to write this like super long think pc type video and just take it super serious and mm-hmm. do a lot of deep mm-hmm. research whereas i really you know, enjoy the format easier. Yeah, you know, it's, it's great to just be able to kind of rant on some music news and stuff like that. And, and recently I've been working on a lot of music for the new Cal Chuchesta mixtape. So that's kind of been a bit of a, an outlet. And I've been trying to make sure I play bass more this year. And that's been an outlet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm kind of just like treating the needle drop as a job because it is, you know, it's my job. I treat it as a job. I treat it as my business. And, um, you know, I just like try to Mm -hmm. keep my face to the fucking, fire feet to the fire face on the grinder whatever the fuck you want to put it and uh and just like continue my hustle on that were you just slapping yourself yeah i was just like putting my fist <laughs> in my fucking hand uh, <laughs> uh, 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 just like you know continue continuing to beat the pavement you know and and just you know keep it up I mean, it, it is kind of like a a repetitive action but honestly it's it's not necessarily a a bad thing to me because uh i again i just kind of see it as like me providing Mm-hmm. Something that my audience is demanding and I and I want to do that. You know, over the years it's kind of like taken me a while to kind of get myself in the headspace where I I have a certain thing that my audience is looking for me to do and I need to find a way to balance it with, hey, I'm gonna be talking about maybe some stuff here and there that I'm not that huge on mm-hmm. and then kind of breaking that up with reviews that I know I'm gonna be excited about, reviews that I know I'm gonna be turning other people on to reviews that I know I'm going to be really excited to tell the audience what's great about the album. And, and that's kind of what keeps me sane, I think, you know, doing my best to give myself balance where I'm only exposing myself to so much stuff that I think is absolute shit mm-hmm. um, <laughs> or just like super mediocre, or super underwhelming. And, and, and I think my audience is kind of the same way. You know, they only want to see me do so many negative reviews and they only want to see me do me do so many positive reviews too, because they'll yeah. start getting on my ass if like, yeah. Everything's a six. Everything's a seven. Everything's an soft. eight. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because like throughout all my years doing this, every year, as far as like the points at which some of my favorite or my least favorite albums will come out, is never the same. Yeah. It's never constant. You know, I'll have I'll have moments where maybe I'll have given like you know five eights or a couple nines within like two months, and then I'll just have like this total fucking dry spell for an entire season. And like everything is fucking sucked. Mm-hmm. Everything sucks or everything's <laughs> underwhelming. And then all of a sudden, like maybe at another point, it, it all of a sudden there'll just like be this huge flow of like great records all of a sudden. I love when audience members start to see temporary patterns like that. And they're like, 
wow, you've changed. It's like, well, I don't know. Give it some more time. You know, I haven't. Well, everyone's changing. Yeah. Well, this this is true. There is there was a bit more that uh, I wanted to say, but uh, we're gonna change on to the next topic. If uh, yeah, we'll talk about it next time. Well, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll talk about it next time. And also, you can actually watch a lot of my editing process on my Twitch channel. Uh, link in the description, I guess. Uh, I do some editing streams there. I also game, but. Um, you can see the whole process there if you're confused about it. But yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that more time and more on the blah blah on the next uh, podcast. We're going to talk about a movie. So last episode, at the end of the podcast, I recommended the film Dancer in the Dank, Dancer in the Dark by Lars von Trier. Uh, or sorry, Lars, okay, I'm a Nazi von Trier. <laughs> oh, um, <man. laughs> And uh, so we're gonna we're gonna have a little discussion on this film. It is a spoiler discussion. So if anybody doesn't want this film spoiled for them, and it is a movie I would recommend, uh, then just uh, go watch the movie right now, or uh, skip this part of the podcast. <coughs> and uh, yeah, if you want to be involved in the discussion next week, there will be a film recommended at the end of this episode as well. So, uh, to, who who wants to start this off? Should I uh, start? May I start? Anthony? Yeah, go for may it. I, may I start? Go okay. for it. What's this movie well, about? I, I just well should should you describe what it's about, Adam? I don't and then care. Then I'll say what I wanted to. Well, I mean, you don't care. I, <laughs> the okay. people need to know. It's your movie. Yeah, yeah just I describe briefly just what a it's brief. about. Uh, Dancer in the Dark is a collaborative effort between Danish uh, artistic uh, director. Lars von Trier and Icelandic singer Björk, and she's Icelandic, right? She's from Iceland. Yeah, yeah that okay. sounds right. That's yeah. what I thought. Yep. Wherein Björk plays, uh, I think she's in the film. She's from Czechoslovakia or something. She's anyway. She's a Czechoslovakian mother. Yeah, she she plays yeah. a foreign mother who moves to America with hopes and dreams, and always adored. America from what she saw in uh, American media, particularly musicals, which she adores. Uh, she's working several jobs at once while living in a trailer in the back of somebody else's property so she can save up money for surgery for her son, who will eventually become blind if he doesn't get an operation. And meanwhile, she is going blind throughout the course of the entire film, and she's keeping that a secret from everybody. She doesn't want anyone to know that that's what she's doing. And so she's tirelessly mm -hmm. sacrificing herself for the sake of her child, who she wants to have a better future without the uh, pain that she's going through. Nice. Good description. And she's also she's also a daydreamer. Yes. Yeah. She's got her she's got her heads in the she's got her head in the clouds. Yes. So mm -hmm. while she is quite focused on this goal of raising this money for her child's surgery, mm -hmm. she kind of dips into a lot of these very odd musical passages mm -hmm. where all of a sudden she's hearing music in her head and people around her are dancing and these are all just like kind of these It's her escape. Weird fantasy. Yes, it's, it's her, her escape and it's the, like these weird fantasy scenes in the in the movie, which given the tone of the film and given how sad the film is, at first you don't quite expect. Like you don't expect mm -hmm. it to just kind of break into a musical. Oh, not at all. Like forty minutes into the movie, that's why I said not to look anything up about it. Yes, I wanted yeah, to thank I, I wanted to thank you, Adam, for um, mm -hmm. saying not not to do any research on it because 
I don't know about you guys, but I thought it was such a fucking like powerful, magical moment when the music began. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's it's when great when it's delayed like that because you're really not expecting yeah. it. You get accustomed mm-hmm. to a certain presentation of the film and then it just completely shifts gears and, and it's like, oh, we're also offering this, you know? Hmm. Yeah. It doesn't... Yeah, well, you I was going to say, Sorry. I was going to say the first, like, half of the movie, I hated it. I thought, like, the editing was horrible and the camera work was, like, distracting hmm. and just... But you I hate, was just, you like, fucking annoyed half, by it. did you say? basically i mean even when that really? first musical number started up i was like why is this shot like shit but then there's that point where i believe it's it's when she kills the neighbor and from that point on i totally got why everything up to that point had been so distractingly like just shitty and off-putting and weird and i think from there i thought the movie was absolutely brilliant and from that mm-hmm. point on I, I was on board completely Cool. That's interesting because I'm like the complete yeah. opposite. Mm, I really preferred the first half. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I thought the editing in the first half was just like it was distracting how bad it was, and I didn't know well, why it, it was it, as bad as it was. Have you seen many uh, Von Trier films? I've had. I have. I've seen his more recent ones, and the mm. editing in all of them is bad, and that's why, especially Nymphomaniac, is just like the, <laughs> the editing in Nymphomaniac like the is worst. bullshit. <laughs> but this one's like this one's especially bad to where it was like distracting. Like he would just I, cut I, people I didn't off. I find it and, bad. Oh, like, I thought it was just terrible. But and I didn't know why he was doing it. But then, like halfway through, you realize he's making. No, it, it. Well, I guess kind of, but it wasn't intentional in a good way. But then you realize he's making the anti-musical. That's what it is. He took all the elements of a musical, twisted it on its head, and made it like as fucked up and dark as possible. Mm-hmm. And then once I realized that was the point of the movie. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, like everything that could ever be happening to this woman that's horrible is happening to this woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and she um, gives that line, like, nothing dreadful ever happens in a musical. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I agree with what Ralph is saying about the movie overall. However, I think I think it gets better much earlier than, than what he's saying, in my opinion. At mm-hmm. first, I was sort of off-put by a lot of the framing and a lot of the mm-hmm. editing and, and the way that I would describe it is that I didn't feel like I was so much watching dialogue or watching scenes in a film as much as I was watching like the impression of dialogue or the impression mm-hmm. of scenes in a film, almost like we were being kind of sped through all of these somewhat intimate conversations between all of these characters in order to kind of do just like a, a really fast intro to everyone mm-hmm. and sort of get an idea very quickly as to what everybody's relationship is to one another. And then once we kind of get into the point where Bjork has admitted that she's going blind and we kind of understand this woman's tragedy and we kind of get exactly what exactly, like what exactly her motivation is through the rest of the film. Then after that, in my opinion, the editing smoothed out a little bit and didn't seem quite as, it, it didn't seem quite as, messy at least purposefully i mean obviously it's all intentional at the end of the day i mean you know you're talking about a film that was uh, recorded entirely on handheld camera Mm -hmm. you know like of course there's their understanding going into that that okay some of this is going to be shaky some of this is going to be messy however we're fine with that that's what we want we want that chaos you know if you look at a lot of the editing during the musical numbers it's especially chaotic and and that's actually Mm -hmm. where i think some of the um very fast editing some of the very close framing throughout the film kind of is is really to the to the movie's benefit because kind of that uh uh 
that chaos of all the cuts and all the close-ups throughout those musical numbers is, is kind of exciting and thrilling. Yeah, and, and you know, some of the choreography was really good, too, and to sort of see a lot of it so close up and some of the cuts to be so fast, it's kind of like you're seeing this dance number from numerous angles in, like, a really crazy, aggressive way. It was uh, kind of thrilling and uh, very unique. A couple hours before I watched the film, I was just browsing, um, like, Louis Thoreau documentaries on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So then when I, I, I loaded up the film and it was like shot and edited in, in pretty much the exact same way nice. as these documentaries I was watching. And I was like, oh, that's really weird. I was not expecting that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I didn't I didn't pull me out in the same way it did for you, though. I felt it kind of it almost drew me in more because yeah. it's just something I haven't seen before. It's really weird and like, like shot like a grainy home movie or something. You know, it, it wasn't the camera quality that was the issue. It was just the editing and the way he shot it. With, like, yeah, even the editing, just it was out just like the documentary. What do you what what exactly about the editing um, do you take issue with? Do you uh, is it that each shot kind of the audio cuts, or or like well, that, the fact that it's the, just it's just like really specific things. Like I would have to angle or exactly that too mm-hmm. jump cuts it would it's just like i gotta watch the movie with you well and just show you <laughs> like it was just it was distracting is is my issue with it like i couldn't even get involved in the story because i was just like why is really? this it's like giving me a headache well to to an extent for me it was it was the same thing it was kind of difficult to take in the dialogue when it felt like almost like again i wasn't listening to or watching an entire conversation going on but rather clips of a conversation and they were just kind of cutting to the most essential parts that would move the storyline forward. However, as I was kind of going through the film, it was kind of a mix of, I think it, it got better. They were consciously making it less chaotic so they can get into the drama of it more. And, and also I think I kind of got mm-hmm. used to the aesthetic of the, of the film as it was going mm-hmm. on too. I started to on a like second it. watch. Like it's not distracting at all, honestly, yeah. for me. Not as bad. Yeah. Cause right, well, that's yeah, when, when you're in. expecting it and you kind of know where the film is going to go, it's probably a little easier to take in. Yeah. yeah that's it too. I mean, he also calmed down a little bit, like you said, as it went along. And like the editing during the musical sequences was brilliant because he edited it like, like it's a clusterfuck, which is what it is. Yeah, and if, if you take, <laughs> that for was example, brilliant. if you take, for example, the scene where like some of those initial conversations where she's talking to, uh, what's the police officer's wife's name? She, she's yeah. having a very close, oh. intimate conversation with her in the kitchen toward the beginning of the movie. Like that's one of the more chaotic moments or a conversation with her friend. That's one of the more chaotic moments during those early dialogue spots on the record. But if you contrast that with the whole scene where uh, she, she shot the cop, you know, like mm-hmm. that scene is there's not a lot of fast cuts. Every kind of piece of dialogue going on back and forth between them is is very clear and very logical and it's like flowing in a way where you feel like you're experiencing all of it in real time, you know? And, and mm-hmm. I will say mm-hmm. seeing a man beg a blind woman to shoot him to death is probably one of the most hilarious premises I've ever seen in a film <laughs> in my entire life. Like your butt, you're fucking blind as a bat, but please shoot me, kill you know, me. She misses twice. Yeah. It was, it was God. so fucked up. It's like, how much, it's, how much it was of a also fucking... at the same time horrifying too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. It was. Because it's like, it was just disturbing. you don't know where the fucking bullet's going to go. It's like, seriously, yeah. how much of a pussy are you where you're just like, no, I, I can't shoot myself. I'll beg this blind I mean, woman to do it. 
That's his character. He's too much of a pussy to just be I, honest yeah. with his wife, you know? So. Exactly. I mean, yes, like, exactly. Like, to just be up front and say that he's he's lost all the inheritance money because she spends too much, apparently. Yeah. Yes. And that, and that's another thing. It's like, you can't just not keep giving your wife money. You, ha you have to keep giving your yeah. wife money. You can't shoot yourself he's either. He's a colossal so you piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's the a colossal piece, piece of, of shit. shit. But, you know, he's... He he's too much of a he, he's too much of a spineless loser to do that. But yet he'll just like totally rob this fucking blind lady. Well, I was gonna say I was gonna say rob her blind, but that that kind of seems like, <laughs> oh, like mm. kind of weird and inappropriate. But you know he'll Whatever. he'll totally rob her and then he'll have her gun him down in his house. But no, I can't I can't tell my wife Took that I lost the money. Out. Yeah, exactly. It, it's just like it's like triple coward. I don't, I don't know if I would have the guts to I don't know if I would have the guts to stand there and let a blind woman like shoot me. Just going back to the uh, presentation. Did you guys catch that the entire film was handheld aside from the dream sequence scenes, which were yeah. all completely yeah, stationary? I yeah, I really liked yeah. I really liked that uh, choice. I felt like that was very appropriate. And the I dream so. sequences, you mean like the musical numbers or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, her daydreaming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the musical numbers definitely had kind of like an idyllic look to them mm -hmm. like like for one thing that i noticed about the editing is the court scene the color treatments they did on all of the scenes for the musical numbers were much more saturated and kind of had a, like a red yeah, yeah, had like a very bright reddish tint to them but then when they cut back to the sentencing like it was all very flat and gray and had kind of like a, mm -hmm. a greenish undertone mm -hmm. to it i felt Definitely. like um i don't know if i'm correct in saying this but i feel like if Von Trier made this film today after having made so many other films and learning so much more about lenses and cinematography that he might have just made this movie differently. I feel like when it comes down to the presentation of the juxtaposition between the two realities and how they're filmed, I feel like I would have appreciated even more juxtaposition. Like, I perhaps, you know, being shot on an entirely different camera or with even better framing like I understand and I get that her kind of musical reality is fucked up in a way but I almost feel mm -hmm. like I guess just out of a personal preference that I would have preferred the musical scenes to more accurately kind of emulate the type of musicals that perhaps she would have consumed from America that she was talking so fondly of that you know yeah, why aren't why aren't those her her reality in her head that she's trying to escape to because it just I, seems like I a bit of a contradiction between like what she says she consumes versus what we see her imagine i guess mm -hmm. well yeah like you said it's supposed to be a fucked up musical sequence because it also wouldn't fit the music at all because this music is this weird abstract well you'd have to whatever. change the music and then, too You'd have to have not yeah, and, York but I it. I love the the weird abstract music, and I love that. I don't know if you knew this, Adam. You probably do. They set up like a hundred cameras around the set, and mm. then just acted out the entire. Oh yeah, dance yeah. That's why. That's and why they, it and they, so weird. That's why it was so odd because it's just like whatever they had in the frame. They're like, okay, cut to that angle, and that's mm. why it looks like a clusterfuck, which is what yeah. it is. <laughs> but that gave it a really interesting aesthetic, and yeah. that's when I really got on board with the movie. I think without that, it's it's losing something. Okay, I, I agree with Adam's point to a to a degree. I think even with the way that they were editing and creating the movie at the time, there might have been some things that they could have done to just kind of make these two worlds seem a little separate. 
You know, I kind of like the mm-hmm. chaos of the editing and, and the way that they were uh, sort of pulling these scenes together. And, and like I said, with the court scene, there clearly were some visual differences between these two worlds. But given the mm-hmm. camera quality and, and the way that they were putting the movie together technically at the time, I'm sure there was only so little they can do to kind of make these two different kinds of pieces of of, of movie scenery shot in the same place mm-hmm. with the same actors look vastly different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it seemed mm-hmm. like... Yeah. It seemed like on the whole, as they transitioned from just a dialogue scene to a musical scene, they pretty much kept all of the wardrobe the same, the lighting the same, all the props and the setup of the mm-hmm. area that they were performing in the same. It looked like they really didn't change much outside of like they might alter the color a little bit or in the case of the train uh, musical shot, everything looked like a little softer or like more pillowy. Yeah. Um, so there were some subtle yeah. changes, but I think maybe a harder contrast would have been more interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I guess let's talk a bit about the music as well. I do have a few more things to say about the presentation, but we'll leave that to the end, I guess. Yeah, sure. I enjoyed the music. I, I've only listened to a few tracks from Bjork outside of this and obviously the Death Grips collabo. Hmm. And as much as I enjoyed it, I kind of I kind of feel the same way uh, with my personal preference, I guess, just regarding the contrast and trying to get into the character's head of what she would have consumed. Mm. And it just seems like I love Bjork's performance in this movie, but I'm not sure I love the tone of what she's singing for certain scenes. So I feel like... like which I, one? Examples? I feel like... Um, the particularly the scene after she shoots uh the guy i forget his name now the, the, the police the cop. guy yeah I, he has a yeah. the, I, I can look up the names if you want yeah he has an actor's that. name that he's a he's he's a David name actor Morse. sometimes i i watch a scene like that in the movie and and i feel like it's almost a bit of a missed opportunity to have an incredibly emotional kind of song uh, attached to it. It doesn't necessarily have to be like stereotypical or cliched, but something with a bit more feeling to it, whereas the music that she's written, the feeling that I get from it is it's mystical. Like that's that's the kind of emotion that I get from, from her music a lot of the time is like mysticism. Mm-hmm. It's like, ooh, this weird, strange kind of music that seems like it would be more appropriately fitting for you know, some sort of fantasy movie in a sense. Yeah, it's it's very um, otherworldly and it's very alien. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel yeah. like her music didn't match the tone of the scene in several instances. Mm. There are some songs that I really liked, um, but I, I do feel like her kind of mystical tone doesn't necessarily lend itself the best to every scene in the film. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard every Bjork mm. record and I love a vast majority of her discography. And... One thing that I did look up going into the film is just the year that it came out. So going into it, knowing that this movie was being filmed and released around the time that Bjork was putting out some of her most popular material and the Mm -hmm. material like Homogenic and Vespertine that basically almost create her trademark sound because prior to that, Mm-hmm. some of her influences were coming from other genres and she was very much wearing them on her sleeves. But on those two records, she really came up with a sound that was uniquely her, like that was her sound. So I kind of went into it expecting like, okay, she's artistically and pretty much commercially at the peak of her career around the time that this album was 
being made and being released. So mm-hmm. it's almost kind of like, you know, you're making the movie knowing with her involvement that she's going to be a pretty big pull to it. People are going to be watching it or checking mm-hmm. it out because she's involved. And those audience members, this is true. those viewers are probably going to want to hear her making the kind of music or singing on the type of instrumental that that they're used to hearing her on. So I kind of went mm-hmm. into it expecting that sound. But I agree with what you're saying. Like, given how much she loves musicals and how musicals are a yeah. thing, you would think that... The music she imagines sounds nothing like anything she exactly. would have watched. But maybe that also, in a way, is... I don't know what one of the few ways that you could say, well, uh, maybe in a way they do effectively make this world that she's living in as, as far as like when they transition into a musical section. Uh, this is what makes that world sound surreal and odd and separate from the rest of the world that she's mm-hmm. actually existing in, because this music that she's singing, this music that she's uh, uh, dancing to sounds nothing like anything of the world that she's existing in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. Because there's a, I think it's kind of cliche to transition to a musical sequence, like in the middle of a movie, and it's all like, oh, this is how I wish the world really was, and all magical. And I see Lars von Trier just going like, oh, I'm going to make it as fucked up and like weird as I possibly can. Well, who knows what kind of direction he gave her or how much creative freedom she had. So who knows exactly uh, who's guessing. I mean, given... Well, they hated each sound like she other, was right? making her own Well, you know, given the, given the tone of the music in the film and given what I know of her discography around that point, like it, it almost sounds exactly like what she would normally be doing. So I can't yeah. imagine that she didn't have she wrote some extra. Yeah, I, I can't yeah. imagine that she didn't have a vast amount, if not total creative control over a lot of these tracks. You know, I, I loved a lot of the instrumentals. I mean, one of the most Bjork. refreshing of all of them to me was uh, during the musical scene, uh, at the factory that she worked at because all of the kind of banging, clanging mm-hmm. metal percussion throughout that yes. uh, moment had like kind of like an industrial tone to it that I thought was really cool, which in, in a lot of ways that was is, my favorite musical is, is very much in the spirit of the musical she talks about or she's inspired by in the films because back in the day, a lot of those musicals, sometimes mm-hmm. you would hear pieces of instrumentation that were inspired by the set in or the setting in which the song was being performed, mm-hmm. you know? Which, uh, again, in a way, does kind of call back to call back to that genre. Alex, what yeah. do you think of the music? I really liked it. I, it didn't really bother me in the same way it did you guys with the. Mm. the I mean, the I still love it overall, almost, but yeah, it, you know. honestly, it never really crossed my mind. There were other things that were bugging me more than more than that. Um, mm-hmm. In terms mm-hmm. of like, I mentioned the I preferred the first half over the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, Why is that? Um, <laughs> this is probably just like a subjective thing but it gets so fucking relentlessly miserable towards yes. the end. are we are we it. talking are, you're talking about like around the point where she gets like robbed after that it kind of drops off for you or is it is it like after she admits that she's going um, blind it was, the, the like, moment is it too depressing to for me, you what it was it's weird because i love depressing shit but there's mm. something about this one where the moment she she's like writhing around with the fucking gun trying to shoot the guy (laughs) well i was just like i I was loving the way it was progressing slowly and you could see what was going to happen you could see just through the acting and the way Mm -hmm. the story was progressing where it was going and the the kind of drop of the hat way the action just sped up and, and it all spiraled so quickly from there it just started to lose me a little bit. It just went. It just went so ridiculously dark and depressing and fucking. It's, it's not a short movie either. It's what yeah. two hours twenty minutes. 
Roundabout yeah, just that was, flies I by was for riveted me. the whole time, yeah. despite the fact that the editing I didn't enjoy in the first half. Yeah, I found shaving 20 minutes off might have saved, solved that problem for me because it was just like, how uh, much more depressing? Oh, okay, she's going to be fucking hung now. Um, yeah, so that was my main issue with that, and you know. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I mean, I get it, but I, 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 that's when I got the movie is when she murdered that yeah. guy. I'm like, oh, this is what he's doing. Like, that's when I got it. And then my favorite scene in the movie is when she's about to get fucking hung and there's a musical number on the way to her death. Like, that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And, like, all the inmates are, like, hugging her and they're, she's, like, sleeping in the bed with them. It's so fucked up, Fuck, but man. it's brilliant. My my favorite yeah. uh, moment is when Catherine Deneuve hands her her son's glasses. I love that part. Yeah. Where it's just, like... You did it, but you're gonna die. I love that, like, kind of like bittersweet, mm-hmm. like accomplishment, yeah. but accepting my death. Sort yeah, of she was basically like emotion yeah. that's it's in the a, film. I, 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 I think it's just, I, it's, it's. I, I love it so much. It's, it makes. I don't me think cry. it's relentlessly like miserable, like Alex said, because I think kinda most is. of his movies are. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. No, miserable. most of his movies are, but these musical sequences, like, I, they change it up a bit. They're like these breaks, and they're still, like I said, they're disasters that you're watching. But it's bittersweet. There's, there's something something entertaining and bittersweet about it. Like, oh, she's finally getting some relief in this world, which added some levity to it. This is just kind of my personal belief system shining through here, but what I got out of it is, yes, at the end of it, like there were a lot of bad things happening to her, and kind of what made me reflect on this is just some of the online reactions and reviews that I was reading of the movie after I watched it because it seemed like what a lot of people took away from it was just this is such a sad movie I can't believe how sad this is fuck you Von Trier why would you make such a sad movie with so many awful things happening to this person um, I, I mean I, I got that about the film and it did cut me emotionally at some points but really kind of what I took away from the film was just not so much, oh, you know, woe is her, there's so many bad things happening to her, but more just the nobility of the fact that she had a goal, she had something that she wanted to accomplish, she was sacrificing herself for her kid, and there wasn't anything that was mm-hmm. going to get in the way of her accomplishing that. You know, there, there was no, there was nothing that was going to yeah. prevent her from, yeah. from getting that done. I really, that's what I kind of got out of the movie, despite everything getting in her way. It wasn't mm-hmm. that bad things were happening to her, it's that she decided... This is what she was going to do. She was going to do everything that she could to make a better life for her son, no matter what got in her way. Even if at the very last second, an opportunity to save herself was presented, she wasn't going to take it if it meant not being able to get her son the surgery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't relentless misery. It was like a story of sacrifice, which is very, that's that's a common theme in a lot of musicals. It's very Les Mis, the story. With a lot of similarities with that. I think the the main thing about that for me is I really like the tragedy aspect, you know, but for me it's like I, I you barely know the kid, and the, something to me is like I, yeah, I, I would have liked a shitty actor anyway. <laughs> You yeah. know, yeah, they probably cut all that out. Von Trier has <laughs> never directed a child well ever. Whenever there's children in his, uh-huh. his movies, he fucks it up. And this you was don't, the least you don't know much up. about her kid, but anyway. you know of her affection for him, and you know her. You know, you know about her. Dr- yeah. You know about her yeah, drive. That, that's you know? what made That's work. really kind of. He, he likes, likes riding things. a bicycle. <laughs> yeah, the kid like, is not a character. Yeah, it's instantly sympathetic because you know, you know, the one thing that to me kind of makes it all fall through is that. 
man, if only we lived in a world with like, you know, universal health care or something or, uh, you know, or, or, if there, or if there was like, oh, yeah. you know, maybe maybe she, maybe she had a bunch of like personal <laughs> friends that were like, hey, you know, listen, we'll, we'll all find a place to live together and, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll all Go work together me. and we're all trying to raise the money for your son. Or like you said, you know, what if it was like 2018 and they just hop on, you know, all of a sudden she's just like at the jail talking to her on the phone like, listen, I found this site. Look at this. It's on my phone. It's It's called GoFundMe. I just started a GoFundMe for your son. We raised ten thousand dollars. <laughs> she should have just immigrated to Canada instead. Yes, exactly. She should have went to Canada, yeah. not America. Poor thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's another theme of the movie too. Is like that yeah. deconstruction of the American dream. Mm-hmm. She comes to America to. It's very similar to Wild at Heart, where they come to America to because it's this amazing place where my dreams are going to come true, and then she just consistently gets fucked mm-hmm. by everyone and everything around her. <laughs> And again, it's that musical theme where musicals are very American and, you know, oh, fantasy, look how great it is, love and dreams and whatever. I, I thought the movie was brilliant. I'm glad I'm you, guys... glad you all seem to enjoy it. Enjoy it very yeah, much. I yeah. thought the... For the most part. I, I, Alex, I do you, what, you enjoyed it for well, the most not part? I'm more, I think I'm coming across more negative than, than I am. These are mm-hmm. oh, yeah. kind of nitpicks more than anything. Like, yeah. I agree with m- what most of you guys are saying. I think it's Well, you really don't hate excellent. the ending, right? You just think it's not no, as no, no, strong No, no, no. I just... I, I still really like the second half of the movie. I just kind of prefer the first half a little bit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It might change upon subsequent viewings, but mm-hmm. that's just the feeling and impression like I got. Bitch? Um, Did you cry like a little bitch? In the uh, second half? Uh, <laughs> fucking cry. <laughs> Are you fucking sorry? You... Yeah. Um, fun fact, both of Aww. those films, Wild at Heart and Dancer in the Dark, won the Palme d'Or oh. at Cannes. Uh, Bjork won Best Actress. And yeah, okay. um, the film was also nominated, nominated for, an for an Oscar for the original song, I've Seen It All. Yeah. So that was the train track one. Yeah. It lost to uh, <laughs> Pixar that year. Of course. Um and <laughs> Pixar in the year 2000 <laughs> uh, for a bug's life or whatever they made then I don't know this was also uh, the only film that Bjork ever acted in because she yep. she couldn't handle it uh, she wrote a uh, Facebook post uh, during all of the Harvey Weinstein Me Too stuff coming out talking about a Danish film director who directed a movie she was in that emotionally abused her throughout the production of the film. And it doesn't name him, but she's been in one film. So uh, it's kind of obvious who she's talking about. Mm. I also kind of want to touch on, we talked a bit about the presentation. Is anybody here familiar with um, something called uh, Dogma 95? Yes. Yeah, I, I kind of looked into mm-hmm. it after yeah. the movie was after the movie was over, and uh, obviously the movie didn't adhere to all of the oh, of rules of that. I don't. Yeah. It didn't try yeah, but, to. But it was. It's. But it was. It's stupid. Yeah. No, I mean obviously, it. but it's 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 still an interesting little manifesto. I think it's I the stupidest shit. Oh yeah. First of all, they didn't I adhere explain to it, it to the mostly. to the audience before we start yeah talking explain it more and then we'll it. fucking deconstruct well, it. Well, they did, it they didn't adhere to all of it, but from what I understand, there are other films he's made that. None of them have. So basically, um, Dogma 95 (laughs) is uh, essentially just a classification kind of thing, a a set of goals and rules that uh, were invented by Lars von Trier and Thomas Vinterberg uh, in 1995. 
And it was kind of like a film movement in a sense where they were sick and tired and fed up of all these um, huge budget films that were essentially using fancy editing and and uh, expensive tricks as a way to kind of supersede the core of what film should be. So like the actors' performances and the characters, they felt like a lot of that was being missed or washed over in a lot of films in uh, 1995. And I, that's also true today anyway. But essentially they set up uh, these rules where a film could be classified as a Dogma 95 film if they adhered to these rules. Um, number one, the shooting must be done on location. Props and sets must not be brought in. If a prop is necessary to the story, a location must be chosen where this prop is to be found. Rule two, the sound must never be produced apart from the images or vice versa. The audio yeah, has to come from that. the uh, scenes in the that they're actually filming. They can't be from separate places. Uh, number three, the camera must be handheld. Uh, any movement or Im immobility attainable in the hand is permitted. Number four, the film must be in color. Special lighting is not acceptable. Number five, optical work and filters are forbidden. Number six, the film must not mm -hmm. contain superficial action like murders, weapons, etc. Well, yep, missed that too. Uh, number seven, temporal so and stupid. geographical <laughs> alienation are forbidden. Uh -huh. So the film has to take place here and now, essentially. Number eight, genre movies are not acceptable. Didn't follow that. Number nine, mm -hmm. the film Didn't format must be Academy 35mm. And number 10, the director must that. not be credited. And so they premiered this kind of idea with a film from each of them, one by Thomas Vinterberg and one by Lars von Trier, and they premiered these at Cannes. Lars von Trier's film was not the better one. It was called The Idiots. I just watched it last night, actually. It was very oh. fucked up and strange and ridiculous, but wasn't uh, amazing, in my opinion. Whereas uh, Thomas Vinterberg's film, highly, highly recommended. It's called Festin, or The Celebration. Amazing movie mm -hmm. uh, shot in Dogma 95 style. And although, yes, the entire concept is kind of stupid, namely because... Those two films that they premiered didn't actually follow all the rules anyway. And they had to yeah. issue confessions, is what they called them. They're like, yeah, this is a part of it. So if you make a Dogma 95 film, you also have to make a confession talking about how you, how you didn't follow every single rule. So like... Talking about the rules that you broke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they made it. Like literally the two premiere films <clears throat> had broken several of the rules that they had laid out. However... Well, arbitrary list. The rules that they made. I mean, oh yeah, it's hilarious. However, I do see value in this from, I guess, like a um, film study perspective, because what it winds up yeah. doing is it, it <sighs> creates these limitations on a director and a writer as they're creating the project. And so it forces them to avoid specific tropes or tricks that they would otherwise feel comfortable doing. And when you... Think about but they did the film anyway. you're making. Well, very, very briefly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's stupid. However, the film was still <laughs> constructed with the intent and goals in mind of focusing on the characters and the performances without any kind of special tricks or help. And I just kind of, I find that very interesting. And also Harmony right, Korean so made one that. too. I thought that little playbook that they pulled together there was actually kind of cool and pretty admirable even if mm -hmm. it didn't stick to all of it all the time because yeah. it kind of reminded me of a lot of 
uh, albums that I love across numerous genres, rock, jazz, pop, so on and so forth, uh, where you, you might have a group or you might have a musician that might decide going into the record, hey, on this record, we are only using acoustic instrumentation. On this record, every song is going to be recorded lo-fi. Mm-hmm. On this Setting record, limitations. Every, yeah, cool exactly. Every single record or, or every single song on the record needs to be recorded in a different location, uh, you know, which is uh, mm-hmm. something that a band that I like by the name of Liars did mm-hmm. on an album. They sort of got this mobile recording set up and they sort of went into a different space with every single song they recorded onto the album. You know, it's, it's a lot of different records to me feel this way and, and, or have done similar things. But, you know, there, there have been some instances I can think of where, hey, you know, maybe a piece of instrumentation that originally wasn't supposed to be on the record, maybe they overdubbed it after or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. E- even yeah. some artists cheated like a that little. Kind of break. Yeah. They cheated a little bit, but yeah. still the spirit of the original exactly. idea is kind of there. And even if you don't accomplish, every single rule you've kind of set out for yourself, the end product still has an mm-hmm. entirely unique aesthetic. Yes. Uh, beca- because of what you kind of embarked on doing. Because the thing is, with a film especially, like mm-hmm. there's so much that can go on between the moment where you're writing it, the moment when you're yeah. shooting it, and the moment when you have to edit it. You there's know, so many limitations music, you can place. Exactly. Whereas with music, a lot of those things can be happening at, simultaneously. You know, mm-hmm. you could be in the in the studio writing as you're performing or kind of improvising or laying things to tape that you didn't expect to and be editing within a matter of moments afterwards, you know, whereas with music you have these, or I mean with movies, you have these three separate processes that even though you might go into a film with these like dogmatic rules and sort of idealistic notions uh, sort of going into it, you know, you're, you're probably going to have to make some sacrifices by the time the, the film is nearing its end in order to kind of come through with a, a logical well-made product that you're that you're happy with because at at the end of the day while those rules are cool and and i admire anybody trying to embark on such things um you might have to make some concessions toward the end to make sure that the film itself is good or like lives up to what you feel is like the standard for a quality movie Mm -hmm. damn anthony you put it really well yeah (laughs) i gotta say you you've almost sold me on it I don't understand why you need to write in a contract but you know what that's a that's a good way it's it's not a contract it's, it's, it's a manifesto yeah, I know it's not a contract, but it's it's like a showy promotional tool. Yeah, you know, it's just sure. like look, yeah, look that, how that's look how, how I see it too. Look, yeah. look at us, we're like we're like really breaking off from everybody else. We're so edgy. We're the cool kids' table. Here's all these know, rules it, we're gonna like, put on ourselves. The more limited you are, the more creative you're forced to be, though, aren't they? That's yeah. like the, yeah, absolutely, the core absolutely. principle. You know, yeah. the, the, but it's the, like what you said at the end of the day. What's important is the story, and if you need yeah. to break some of those stupid ass rules to tell a good story, then do it. And luckily, he did. Just imagine how many instances where a writer in Hollywood or otherwise is thinking, okay, well, I'm going to have this scene where someone's going to get shot and they're going to die. And that's like the focus of where they're starting off is like, this is the emotional pull that the film is going to have is this gunshot. And then to remove that from the equation and have them thinking about like, wait a minute, like what? what could this movie even be if I removed that? Is the movie worth, is the story worth telling outside of that are my characters Mm -hmm. fleshed out are they interesting you know like what what is happening in the presentation of the film beyond that i think that that's kind of an important mindset to at least get yourself considering even if it's not like a manifesto that you're going to be adhering to it puts you in a different mindset creatively yeah yeah it's it's important to to, know sorry for his later stuff has he followed this manifesto since no he he made one uh vinterberg made one 
Harmony Korine made one. Um, they actually disbanded the Dogma 95 as a classification in 2005. Really? And the reason why is because they felt as though technology had improved so much that even if you are adhering to those rules at that point, the aesthetic is just so wildly changed with the the improvement of digital cameras and and audio and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. It, it's, it, films just wound up looking like they're professional anyway, even if they were adhering to those rules. And so they, they basically just said like, yeah, uh, Dogma 95 films still exist and you can make them, but there's no nobody classifying them and there's no little sticker thing you put at the beginning of the movie to show that it, it's official. Like they didn't want to be seen as necessarily a brand. Yeah. They just kind of wanted mm. to promote a different way of thinking about films or a different way of creative thinking when it comes to movies. An artistic movement. You could tell there's still some elements of that movement aesthetically, though, that pop up in his, in his movies a little bit. Yes. Like in, in yeah. some of his latest films, mm -hmm. which, you know, is funny because, you know, you could tell some of the rules, quote unquote, that he had for the movie. Like the only reason he threw them in there is just, I, I prefer this aesthetically. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just yeah. going to make it Pretty a much. rule even though it's just what I would probably be doing, even if I didn't put these rules on myself, because it's it's just what I like visually in filmmaking. Oh, and by yeah. the way, if anybody um, if anybody's uh, second guessing checking out that movie I recommended, Festin, The Celebration, uh, I should mention it's from the same director as uh, The Hunt, which is something that people thank me oh, for recommending okay. often. So, oh yeah, yeah, that's a great. Film. Everybody loves The Hunt. I haven't met a single person that's watched it and didn't absolutely love it. So. Yeah, check out the celebration, Festin. So I guess uh, we'll just give a quick little wrap-up of our thoughts on Dancer in the Dark before going into questions, if, it, if that's fine. Sure. Sure. Cool. Well, uh, obviously I love the movie, despite having some, some you know personal preferences of where I felt um, there were some missed opportunities, I guess. But still, at the same time, <laughs> I also feel like I wouldn't have it any other way. Because it could have, you know, perhaps my suggestions would just turn it into something worse anyway. Love mm -hmm. the movie. I give it a 9 out of 10 for sure. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, I like the film overall. I mean, I was pleased with the vast majority of it. I thought the characters were really compelling. I thought the story was pretty compelling. I thought the musical numbers were pretty fantastic and unique. Um, you know, loved the music and already went into the movie being a fan of Bjork, and it kind of made me appreciate her in a different light. You know, at at first I was, again, thinking the movie was like a little rocky with the way um, the film was edited and even how some of the actors were acting. I feel almost as if like the acting kind of got a little better as yeah, the film was I going on a little too. Um, like everything seemed like a little less awkward because if I, if I recall correctly, like some of the interaction she was having with her son toward the beginning of the film just like felt really stiff and, and weird. Um, and I've always kind of known bjork to be kind of like a very cold and very alien like weird type of person when mm -hmm. you see her in interviews or interacting <laughs> with other people at least kind of in in the public forum so like that was kind of manifesting itself in the film in like a really bad way but as the movie went on i kind of felt like she um you know warmed up a little bit and uh and, and in a way i felt like it kind of added a lot to her character you know it was almost like her blindness or the way that she kind of uh sort of would Tr transition or fall into like these weird musical passages 
kind of made her almost just like a visitor in, or, or a tourist in the world that she was actually living in. So she had kind of just like a weird demeanor about her, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just thought all the char- characters were really compelling. I loved the ending of the film, which was incredibly intense and and dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there were just so many elements of the film that I found to be really good. I mean, it's not going to be for everybody. It's not a very accessible movie. It's a very heavy and a very unorthodox mm-hmm. and a very difficult film. But, um, you know, if you're into stuff that's off the beaten path, then you want to hear something or see something with like a lot of heartbreak and, uh, you know, kind of, again, like a really strong sense of nobility to it. It's it's worth a shot. For sure. Alex? I don't know how I'm supposed to follow Fantano's fucking perfect <laughs> summary of the movie right there. But yeah, great performances from Bjork. The music's amazing. Her voice, I just, I just love her voice. It's amazing. Nice. Yeah, it's a very quaint and tragic movie. Very, quaint. very sympathetic character. Yeah, I'd say it's quaint. You know, it's well, you are a singular person story. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the style of it is something unique. <laughs> What are you fucking laughing at? Well, this always happens. When it comes to <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Being English is. So I like. Funny. I like the word quaint. I use it quite often. Yeah. Yeah. Quaint. If I'm talking about like a Bell and Sebastian album or something, you know. Oh, this Bell yeah. and Sebastian album is quite yeah. quaint. It's quaint. Quite quaint. Anthony's got your back. <laughs> it's not a movie for everyone. Someone has your back. Um, it is quite. It's very sad. <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's, it's an important lesson about not giving up and what the human spirit can drive you to do, mm-hmm. death or otherwise. Hold on. We'll wait. Nobody say anything. My fucking idiot roommate walked in with a goddamn package. Sorry about that. One more thing. <laughs> I I, I Sorry, heard continue. someone. I, I I heard I I kind of heard the voice in the background, and it sounded like they uh-huh. were saying someone in the park got shot. I was like, <laughs> Oh, America! <laughs> That's what he I said. What's up, dude? But oh, okay. okay. I yeah, uh, I mean that does happen frequently. Yeah. Alex, did you finish your thoughts? I'm sorry about that. Um, I've been listening to the soundtrack on repeat since I watched really? it like a week ago. Oh, yeah, nice. I, I did, something really magical about it. Yeah. Awesome. It just it, mm. it, it it made me feel something I haven't felt in a movie because i just adam surprising me by by making sure i didn't research it in any in any way was like such a great moment for me and that's something like i I really hope other people out there took the advice as well um before Mm -hmm. going in and listening to this because it's it's the kind it would be like seeing empire strikes back for the first time and not knowing (laughs) Darth Vader's the father kind of feeling it'd be Um, like watching blade runner 2049 and knowing that harrison ford is in it before you start the movie just a nice surprise sony um, (laughs) that i would recommend if um anything we've said um is remotely interesting to you good ralph well i loved it i mean mostly my issues are with the first half i hated the editing i hated the way it was shot um, I still get it, why he did it, but he went way too far with it. Her blindness was also very inconsistent, you know, because sometimes she couldn't see anything. And then, like, like there's that plot, there's, like, a central plot point scene where she's in her house, and the guy is standing right there, and he sees her put the money in the, the thing, the tin, right? Well, she's not necessarily and then looking on, directly at him, I don't know. Yeah, but it it's like, like he's right there. The wall. Like, her vision's fading, we don't know what kind of like distance she yeah, has but it, like that's the thing is like sometimes she could see clearly sometimes she's just like blurry sometimes it was like it was inconsistent for me it's not a big thing i'm just saying most of my either. issues were with the first half but mm. like i i adore it i didn't i didn't enjoy it particularly for most of it but i was completely riveted 
-hmm. and I love what this movie represents. It's a great statement. And uh, I was fucking depressed after I saw it <laughs> the rest of the day. I was just upset. Yeah, same. And I went to bed early because I was, I was just like really upset. So yeah, like a four out of five or something. I'm glad I made you movie. upset, Ralph. <laughs> yeah, you always make me upset, Adam. I know. I'm just like... Let's recommend a movie a that's living. like happy. Does, any, does everybody have a favorite song? Oh, again, for me, it was uh, the song in, uh, in her workplace. I, I loved the... Again, yeah. I kind of yeah, loved same. the heavy that's industrial... You know, instrumentation on that—it was really interesting. Which I wonder how much of that, you know, kind of fed into the, the you know, the Dogma '95 uh, sort of ideal. Like, okay, you know, we need to try to incorporate some of the yeah. sounds of this of this area into the into the scene. And and clearly, the I mean, the vocals were clearly recorded in a studio. Like, they they were clearly not recorded on site. So, oh yeah, it's not a film yeah. that tries yeah, to be yeah, Dogma '95. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I, I wonder. Obviously, he had like a little bit of of that ideal in there, trying to incorporate some of the sounds from the set into that song. But um, yeah, that was probably my favorite track out of all of them. I didn't enjoy any of the music. Really? <laughs> all right. No, I uh, I I I think it fits the movie perfectly, and I wouldn't have it any other way. But I would never listen to it on an iPod again. This is not the kind of music I enjoy. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know. But uh, my favorite You're more sequence of a, was again a Nickelback fan. Yeah, Nickelback, Taylor Puddle Swift, you know, I love that shit, dude. Puddle of Mud, Corey yeah. Feldman. Three, three, yeah, three Doors Down, classic. Three Doors Down, Third Eye, yeah, three third eye Blind, you, you, Logan you, Paul. Yeah, three Doors Down, them, Third Eye Blind, you know fucking all. 311. Any band with a three in it, really. Just any band with three mm. in their name, yeah. Three Six Mafia, you're just like really big into... 303. Yep, 303. Mm. Yeah, any any group with a three in their name, you just fucking love their shit, dude. Hell yeah. It's a, it's a really weird <laughs> music listening habit you have. All right. Wow. Uh, so now we're going into the question part of the podcast where you guys send us questions. There is a dedicated uh, sub uh, Reddit, Reddit thread uh, where you can ask questions and... There's a dedicated thread every episode or whatever for the next one. Uh, mm-hmm. Who 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 gathered some questions for us to answer? I did. Did you, Alex? No, I didn't. Um, I'm not Alex. I looked at a couple. I said, uh, Alex, I ha- you fuck. <laughs> I thought of my own one, which I don't know if that's against the rules or not. That's not against um, the rules. I mean, if you want to ask, go ahead. You can go um, first. Do one of yours first, and then I'll follow with my my special okay. secret question. So, so I have some music related ones, and I have some movie related ones. So, but you want to start with a music one? Because uh, we got the Dankthony Danktano over here, who's a big music. Let's guy. do it. Mm. So this one's by XD Padfoot. Just wondering mm-hmm. if any of you guys have played any musical instruments during your life. Oh, I mostly play bass, just bass guitar, four string, Fender jazz bass, bass, Fender precision bass. I play a little keyboard and guitar too, but I just I mostly enjoy playing the bass. I mostly excel at the bass. I, I mostly practice my bass. Did you teach yourself, or did you get like any I don't know training? I took, from I took lessons. I took lessons as a teenager for oh. probably like five to six years, like probably from thirteen all the way up until when I started going to college, and and then after that I just you know started teaching myself. And and around that time it was actually easier to teach yourself because. Anything that I wanted to know, honestly, I would just go on YouTube and look it up. Yeah, that's a like, big thing I would just like, There were just like tons of awesome just like bass lesson videos on YouTube. I mean, there are more and more every year. I mean, some of my favorite channels, uh, shout out to Scott's Bass Lessons. Dude has fucking awesome bass lessons. Hey, And has, has access to a lot of like cool bassists who he has on throughout the, 
series who just have cool tips and tricks and stuff. Nice. So mm. yeah, like around YouTube and, and when I was getting more internet savvy and stuff, I would just like look up base stuff that I wanted to learn online and just do it that way. Do you write any uh, material? I, I used to like record little bass riffs and stuff when I was younger and uh, and everything. And, and I've like done some lo-fi and home recording stuff too. I mean, obviously I know a little bit about it because of the stuff I've recorded for the Cal songs and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And uh, uh, I used to be in a like a music duo and I did some demo stuff of our stuff, but I haven't like done any super like, you know, grand multi-track type recording, you know, with like multiple musicians that, that I've sort of written myself or anything like that, no. I'm no Adam from YMS, you know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> hey. Hey. All right. Speaking of. But hey, if you need a sweet if you need a sweet ass baseline for a song, just let me know. Mm. If I need a sweet ass baseline? Yeah. But I already play the bass. Oh. But, well, you Are you as good as Anthony? I'll fucking I'll fuck I'll fucking I'll fucking put you down in a bass battle any day, bitch. Uh oh. <laughs> oh shit. I'm so I, Whoa, listen, yo, listen, right I now, already, let's fucking I do already it. play the bass. I, I fucking I fucking rule you at the bass, dude. Okay. Well <laughs> Damn. My songs are oh, uh, shit. I'm too picky. Like everything has to be a certain way. So it's like if I have other people playing instruments on my album, I'm more or less just telling them what to play. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, t- I, take direction. Rarely... I take direction. I always take input from other people that want to give me input, but very rarely do. Am I actually happy with the input over what I've already got? <laughs> all, all, I'm say, all I'm saying is I'm I'm happy to take direction, and and anything that you, anything that I play bass on, you could totally just put featuring Anthony Fantano on it, and all of a sudden it's probably going to get a hundred thousand YouTube hits. So, but then but then you won't be able to review the album without it being a major conflict of interest <laughs> if it wasn't already. It's already won. a conflict of interest. Yeah, but like you, still, you still review your friends' albums though. Like what? Like who's who's my best friend? Who's album I reviewed? I, I didn't say best friend, but you got like uh, George Miller. You did uh, like his Pink Guy stuff. I don't know. I did. T- I did talk about his shit. That is yeah. true. You got me in trouble. You're fucking. You made an there. entire video talking about the okay, ethics of true, recording <laughs> or reviewing <laughs> friends' true. albums. It's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah, called you. Out. I, I just. I just feel. I just feel like. I just feel like I'm closer with you. That's all. Uh, I just have a bigger. Cru- mm. I just. I'm just have a bigger crush on you. Uh, okay. Well, that might be a little bit of a conflict of interest. Yeah, Adam, I play. play? Uh, I play a bunch of instruments. Um, <laughs> this guy over here, I cool play to... everything. Yeah, well, all of it. I mean, so I started on piano <laughs> at a very, very young age. Like I don't even know how young I was, and I would consider piano to be one of the best instruments you can learn first. It's true. Because it is one of the best instruments. The visual layout for what music is. It's literally just a low to high, and each note ascending is just another semitone right so if you get comfortable and familiar with notes on a piano then you have a very easy to understand visual representation of what music is in a sense and in learning to play piano you learn everything all at once you learn chords you learn melody you learn bass you learn counterpoint you pretty much get all of it all at once yeah it's like everything in one instrument that you could possibly learn somewhere else whether whereas you know you learn something like drums you're only learning rhythm really you know you Mm -hmm. learn bass guitar you're only learning the bass when there's much more to a full song or music in general than just those qualities and so i started out on piano you know vocals if you consider that an instrument i guess then i learned i don't remember what i started learning first acoustic guitar or drums i took some beginner lessons in high school for acoustic guitar and it was 
pretty, like, I, I didn't have any issue with it. I taught myself the drums, taught myself bass, taught myself the cello recently, actually. And that's, I, I wound up buying a cello just for the new album I'm recording, and um, it's uh, turning out really well. There's a lot of tracks with the cello on it that I didn't expect to have the cello added and it's just it's it's a really complimentary instrument for what i'm going for so that's turning out well holy fucking shit what what uh, my wife just texted me apparently just now like as in 20 minutes ago there was a shooting at youtube headquarters what oh yeah seriously yes the, so my, the, per my the person is joking. the shooter's dead four what four people were, four people shooter's dead four people were wounded youtube headquarters in for fucking sure, california. california yeah Holy, Holy shit. shit. Yeah. Well, this podcast oh my took a left turn. <laughs> Sorry, terrible. but that was like, oh, no. that was <laughs> no crazy. Worries. And honestly, just like, well, I mean, it's it concerns all of us in a way. Oh, of so. course. For fuck's sake. As uh, crazy and unfortunate as that is, I, um, oh. I'm not a big fan of commenting on things where there's not much information out yet. You know, yeah. no, I don't, wanna, true, I don't really want to start a discussion on this and become one of those uh, yeah. commentary people that just jump on it as soon as it's. All I can say mm -hmm. is just right now, I hope that this person isn't actually a YouTuber. And like, of course, like they have some kind of crazy extremist YouTube channel, because I feel like honestly, like that's the last thing YouTube needs in the news right now. Yeah. Another yeah. crazy extremist political YouTuber who actually shot up YouTube. And yeah, mm -hmm. that is really fucked up. And we can only speculate, which is what I don't <laughs> want to do right now. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> no Sorry. worries. No. Thank you. So I cello. also play the, I I play play the, the cello, <laughs> and uh, I play the violin, and I well, play the trumpet. I've always, been I've always been curious about violin and cello, like <laughs> in regards to just the difficulty level of which, because you before that you played bass and piano and guitar and so on and so forth. Like, mm -hmm. what, what would you rate? to be the difficulty level like I, I personally can play fretless bass pretty well like is playing the cello much more difficult than uh, playing those instruments like is it super if i if i just like picked up a violin and was like hell yeah fucking violin like could i pick up on it pretty easy considering mm, how long i've been playing like stringed instruments uh it's well i mean when you start to incorporate instruments like cello or violin there's like vibrato that is a mm. whole new level of uh challenge that yeah sort of just like you know whether or not you want to in incorporate well i mean like and the the vibrato is not even caused by uh the movement of your string it's caused by you're essentially just like wiggling your finger back and forth oh, as you're hitting the note which is a, a okay. challenge in of itself you're kind of like mm. pivoting the finger mm. in a sense and it takes yep. a while to get used to and I, i'm not even sure i do it like all that well but is it like pulling a string on a guitar to kind of get it to you know you know a little bit or is it like different? no that's very different no. um no. yeah you don't want to like bend the the string on a violin or cello you want Got all it. of the, the you're just uh, kind of like wiggling your finger on top yeah like you're little... you're you're like pressing up and down in a sense but not ever having a point where your finger isn't connected to it it's 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 a challenge for sure mm. i do feel like the cello is easier than the violin you have a lot more space for vibrato and um, notation, whereas violin, very subtle movements can easily just fuck it up and mm. make it sound awful. I'm not like an expert at both of them, but I play them well enough that they're on my album and I'm happy with how they sound. 
Do you play any stuff you blow into, man? Yeah, I learned the clarinet for the album mm. also. I play some trumpet on the album. I learned the saxophone for one track. That was an instrument that I was expecting to have on a lot more tracks, but it only really worked out for one. So like I, the opposite a, of the cello. I had a dream last night I could play sax for some reason. I, I, I fucking dreamed about being able to play sax. I, I would like to. I had a dream last night that I fucked a female, and it was so weird. I had sex with a girl. <laughs> this is a little off topic. <laughs> I wore a condom in my dream too. I hope tonight I dream that I that I fuck a sax. I hope tonight that I dream that I just I fuck a saxophone. You you dreamed you wore protection? No, That's I pulled a condom weird. out of my wallet where I always keep them. So I was like even I was practicing in safe sex even oh. in my dream. That's cute. <laughs> condom in the wallet's a rookie move though. Oh my god. Yeah, whatever. I was like super oh. strong too. I like lifted her up against the wall. It's super, <laughs> superhuman strength. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Alex, do you play any instruments? Well, I guess now is the real time, Ralph. Besides the skin mm -hmm. flute. Bazooka. Ralph, do you want to reveal the secret, Ralph? Um. I guess. Me and Ralph have started a band. It's called the Bongo Boys. Mm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> lots of bongo tracks on there. Yeah, the, we both play the bongos. It's coming out yeah, soon. Yeah. Well, you do vocals, remember? Well, I do a little bit of bongo work in it. Like the yeah. sixth track yeah, true. or so. It's, it's kind of like 50-50 split. But... And this more singing or rapping or slam poetry on top we of We kind of do a bit of everything. Yeah. Um, every yeah. song's different. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. the Took whole... a lot of inspiration from Corey Feldman. Mm. We've nearly finished our first album. And uh, it's yeah. it's all about um, a big battle with uh, YMS's first album. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So it's going to be kind of a, one of those what, rap lot of battles. Like which one's sales are better? Like who has the better sales? It's kind of like diss track thing. Hopefully he'll do oh, a cool. response. And it'll be well, let's see if it does nearly as well as my demo CD from 2010. <laughs> let's hope so. You going to get a Blondie cover? <laughs> <laughs> Listen. I don't know. <laughs> do you have a song called Modesty, Adam? No, I don't want one. I'm going to positively review your album and shit all over Adam's album. And oh, perfect! Ooh, I like that. And then I'll just like basically cast Adam off into the Corey Feldman realm. Oh, please! And you guys will be the <laughs> you guys will be the next Kendrick Lamar. Oh, uh, yeah, that's my dream to be the next Kendrick Lamar. Thank I you. I played so drums much. for like a year. Um, yeah. Yeah, but then stopped because I, I can't remember why. I just I didn't have anywhere to put a nice drum like kit it. and like you know. Oh, so what did you do with it? That shit's heavy and expensive. What do you do with it? You play it rough. It's a drum kit, you know. No, I know, but you only played it for a year. What'd you do with it after? It just sat in the corner? No, like I did lessons for a year. And I had like... Oh. <laughs> my parents went, didn't have the most amount of money. So they got me one of those little rubber pads, you know? Yeah. Aww. That mimic like it. So just go... Do, 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 do. It's just not the They got same. you a Guitar Hero drum set? <laughs> <laughs> he was practicing his, his paradiddles. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. exactly right. And I just, uh. I just couldn't do it. You, Ralph? Perfect. Um, I played a I play acoustic guitar and bass also. I studied that from when I was like nice. ten to like fifteen. I mean, I don't really play that much. It's mainly a thing I pull out when when girls come over or stuff mm. like that. It's never it's never worked. I forgot about one other instrument that I play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, knew that was. I, w I mentioned that while you were talking. So did I? I'm like, did you? <laughs> All right, good for you, dude. I'm glad you. I'm glad you I guess um, I should also mention that uh, I don't. I don't know if I've actually 
talked about my music at all on this podcast. I should mention that I'm not joking. I've been really curious, but about uh, about like how many instruments I play and that I'm recording an album. Like I'm I'm serious about music for anybody that doesn't know that. And basically, I'm just re- I'm recording my first full feature album right now, and it's taken me I don't know like two years so far, but it'll be out early next year. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Very happy Go with ahead. how it's going. Uh, the only other material I have out right now is kind of uh, just like demo material from like 2010. So don't consider yeah. my currently available material to be a reflection <laughs> of of my current abilities. Yeah, you always get better. That Nicholas Winding Refn song you made, that's a that's a Oh yeah. That's a well, that was a, I just took an instrumental track from YouTube and then sang over it. So Oh really? Everybody is mad that. at me for the, the kick being panned hard left. That was not my fault. Oh, what a really? fucking sham. <laughs> sham. <laughs> what a hack. We trusted you. Yeah. I guess uh, I I should also mention me mentioning that Blondie cover that was also not a joke. Blondie covered one of my songs, so throwing that in yeah, there really because cool. that yeah. seems to help legitimize my music in a lot of people's eyes. So, um, and in, in my out. opinion, it was it was one of the better songs on the record. So why thank you? It was very You're cool welcome. that they did that. All right, uh, next question. Sure. So this one's from the Real Meme Daddy. They ask, "Hey, Melon, that's your uh, that's your nickname, Melon." Yeah, that's that's the mother my mom gave me. Go on. Oh, uh, do you like that nickname? <laughs> I I love it. I love oh, it. I, I'm actually my... about to I'm actually about to sell a shirt that feeds into the Melon meme. Good. Oh, really? Good for you, dude. Mine is uh, my nickname's Gay Furry. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big fan of it, but what are you gonna do? Hey, Melon, I know you hate straight out Compton. Uh, what's what? your favorite biopic about musicians? In a movie, or I don't even know what. Yeah, the the movie, the movie. Yeah. I'm sorry. What's your favorite biopic about musicians? And I guess this goes for everybody. Hmm. I don't know. It's not a biopic about a specific musician, but it's definitely like a, a musical movie about a certain point in time yeah. in, in music. And that's a 24-hour party, people. I like that film quite a bit. Mm. Okay. I haven't seen it yet. I'm aware of it, though. It, it's all about the Manchester factory record scene in the UK in the 70s and 80s, Joy Division, New Order, Happy Mondays, all those bands. Nice. And uh, mm. the guy, Tony something who, whose last name I can't remember who basically started the label he used to be a TV host and then he was starting to hear all of these cool bands in the UK you know new wave and synth pop bands and post-punk bands that weren't quite getting the the shine and the attention that they deserved and he kind of in a way sacrificed his his media career to just totally just live and bleed this music scene and support it and just in a lot of ways kind of put it on and uh, the, the whole film is just all about the, the growth uh, of that scene and just kind of the rise and the fall of the, the record label. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that's on my watch list already. Steve Coogan yeah. is in it, directed yeah. by Michael Winterbottom, who directed The Trip, mm-hmm. which is a very funny yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. I wish I'd seen it. Sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. I'll be checking that one out for sure. It's a pretty fun movie, you know, especially if, you, if you're a fan of any of the groups that sort of came out of that scene. Again, New Order, Joy Division, that sort of thing. Good. All right. Uh, my favorite one, I don't know if you'd count this, but Amadeus, about Amadeus hmm. Mozart. That's hmm. absolutely Very my favorite biopic about a musician. I haven't seen that. That that movie's fucking fantastic. And hmm. it's all told from the point of view of some other composer at the time who was really jealous of Mozart and really wanted <laughs> to be as good as him, but is not even close to as talented. Uh, so that's it's an partly like perspective. It's yeah, it's partly watching the rise and fall of Mozart and partly watching this poor guy who wants to be as good as Mozart but never can be. So uh, it's a brilliant like movie about art and like artists and that struggle they go through. Uh, mm. I loved it. So Alex, 
Um, only one I could really think of is um, Behind the Candelabra. Um, oh, that's such a great one too. Yeah, oh my Michael God, Douglas has a lot that. of sex with Matt Damon. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of the story. It's one that seems to have gone under the radar. Like, yeah, it's it's just about the famous pianist. Um, it's it's more about the the drama behind the, the famous scenes. Famous penis. Penis, yeah, yeah. Mm, um, if you like penis and Matt Damon and Michael Do Do- Douglas all sharing penis, mm-hmm. that's one okay. for you guys. I don't know. I I just scanned my Blu-ray shelf for things that would be considered biopics of musicians. Does the pianist count? Because <laughs> that's I not really, I but mean, sure. I, yeah, I don't know. It's is it not uh, kind of? I I mean, it's based off is of it a, based real on a real person, person, isn't it? Oh, so there you go. Yeah, I think I it is. Oh, you know, also, um, I I like the Johnny Cash movie quite a bit. Um, what is that one called? Uh, walk the line. Is it? I walk the line. Yeah. What was I walk the line? Not yeah. to be confused. Is, is with Joaquin Lockhart. Phoenix in it? Yeah. I mean, there were some yeah. elements of his life that kind of glossed over. There was a moment where I think they were like, what? They were like in downtown Tennessee and there wasn't a black person in sight. Uh, (laughs) But outside of that, like I thought it was like a pretty true to life and pretty compelling as well. I mean, you know, there were probably some scenes that didn't go over exactly how they put it, but I thought it was a pretty fun movie. Oh, good. All right. Next question. Anyone else have anything else to say? No. No. If Inside Lewin Davis was about a real person, that would probably be mine. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's not not a real person, so. Uh, okay, so next one is from Jam Twin, nineteen ninety nine. What are some of your favorite music videos or music video directors? Mm. This is not one I'm very well versed in. Uh, I recently saw that Apple iPod, uh, not iHome, by Spike Jones. Like it's like an advertisement. I know mm. that's not really a music video, but I thought that was pretty no. fantastic. One of my favorite music videos. This one's a little cliched to have as my answer. Whatever. Uh, Take on me by Aha. Um, yeah, I think that's that's, <laughs> that really that's one of those music videos that almost just made the song. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a great music yeah, video. Is absolutely. that the one that's like all like pencil drawn? Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a fantastic okay. music video right there. There's some uh, interesting stuff like uh, It's Okay to Cry by Sophie is a very strange music yeah, video that, that movie, is kind of interesting. That music video is pretty crazy. Yeah, that mm. one was pretty cool. Eric Wareheim directs a lot of weird stuff, yes, believe it does. or not. He directs music videos. I know there's probably ones that are just slipping in my memory right now. Yeah. I'll, I'll think about it while somebody else lists them off. I have a couple if you guys are thinking. Go on. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Some really r- random ones like... Uh, sledgehammer by peter gabriel it's got like all this weird stop motion stuff and crazy effects which i'm told by my uh, parents who saw it when i came out were uh, kind of a big deal or something like it was all new and crazy technology for a music video the song uh only by nine inch nails has a cool music video it's all presented through i don't know what they're called they're like a, a toy where they've got loads of pens on it and you can like push your hand into it and it leaves the print of your hand do you know what i'm talking about yeah like um, those peg those metal peg yeah those peg things, things that are in like yeah. a oh, rectangular okay. board um yeah that's kind of a weird unique one um legend has it for uh run the jewels really like that one and what happens in that one is that the one the cop and the guy are fighting like perpetually that's a different one i thought oh. legend, legend has it they're like lined up in the police station and they're like they've got loads of duplicates of themselves and they're like taking a step forward doing a line and the yeah, one next yeah, to yeah. yeah yeah there's another one that they had where it was a cool concept where just this cop and this perp or whatever you would want to call them are just like they're just like fighting just constantly and they're like yeah it's just this never-ending battle and you know the the fight is like 
going into someone's kitchen and they fly through the window and then yeah you know, it's just like this never-ending kind of struggle and i guess the final one i'd say is um clint eastwood by gorillas it's like mm, nice an important one to me oh yeah that's a good one you know what's what's funny is like that video is so cutting edge for the time and aesthetically yeah. it kind of reminded me of um like corn's freak on a leash like with with mm -hmm. some of like the weird effects and like the weird kind of color transitions and stuff but it's funny because like going back it's like it's just like the advancement of i think just visual aesthetics and music videos it's it's not quite as like hard hitting as it used to be when i remember when i was a kid like those music videos fucking blew my mind like yeah, that, same. that and the nine inch nails closer video that's that video used to give me nightmares <laughs> <laughs> i've thought of some more hmm. okay we got uh, Fantasy by, I don't know how to pronounce their band name, Die, D-Y-E. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, That's a really an good awesome one. music video. So I've really seen that one. Oh, it's a classic for sure. It's a really sure. good song as well. It's insane. Mm. Oh, my God. That, I, I love that vid music video so much. Yeah, same. There's uh, the music scene by Blockhead, some really cool animation going on in that. There's uh, Dear God by Monsters of Folk was pretty interesting. Butterfly Cut by Massive Attack had a pretty cool video. Frontier Psychiatrist by The Avalanches is pretty entertaining, although I would say the song's better than the music video, but Kangaroo Court by Capital Cities, because it's fur bait, and uh, Lone <laughs> Digger by Caravan Palace, because it's fur bait. Those mm. are both <laughs> really good okay. music videos. <laughs> fur bait, that's an interesting yeah, I've never heard that before. Oh, yeah, fur, fur bait. bait. That's what Zootopia was. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think they just honed in on the furry market? For I think Zootopia? they did. I think they really did. You think so? I, I, I genuinely don't think they did. Well, but... we'll get into that discussion another day. Yeah, maybe we should. Because I am convinced that they did. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about it next time. All right, <laughs> so is that all the time we have for questions? Um, did you talk about your music video, Ralph? Did you say one? Oh, I don't really have one. Oh. I like that HomePod one. Mm. I, I more wanted to hear what you guys thought because... You know, I'm looking for some music videos to watch because I do enjoy them. From when I was a kid, I liked a lot of the old Michael Jackson videos a lot. I don't know. They they, they were less like music videos and more like cultural events, like in the production yeah. and the dance routines that went into all of them were so incredible and like so huge. Have you guys seen the music video for Battles, My Machines? No. no. This experimental rock band called Battles, uh, they have this second album called Gloss Drop. And, and Gary Newman, the uh, the new wave artist, Gary Newman, who did uh, who did Cars. He, oh, he, the Daniels made yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sings on the song. And the music video is set on an escalator. And you see the band playing occasionally. And you see uh, Gary Newman singing. But basically the premise of the whole music video is that this guy who's going up the up escalator he starts falling on the escalator but the thing is the escalator keeps going up so he's in this like perpetual motion of falling just like forever <laughs> and so oh, wow. you see the down escalator like gary newman is going the down escalator he's singing and then you see the drummer from the band going on the down escalator his whole drum set is on the escalator and he's just like drumming as the escalator <laughs> is going down and every member of the band and gary newman is performing the song and and they're just kind of passing by the guy who's just falling forever on the up escalator and it's just like a really odd That's premise brilliant. for a music video but uh, and and i have no idea what making the music video might have meant in terms of just like like stunt performance because i imagine that there probably would have been like a, potentially a lot of injuries walking away from such a music video because it, it looks like the guy yeah. is legit falling you know like on on mm -hmm. the escalator forever but it's just like a really weird premise and definitely one of the oddest music videos i've ever seen I really love that one music video from that band Spiritualized. Uh, 
I think the song is called Hey Jane or something. Okay. And it's basically this really, it's a really long song. So through the music video, they're able to tell like this pretty ambitious and well-developed story where this trans woman, uh, male to female, they, they have a kid and they're just driving around and, you know, they're like trying to get their kid to school or something. And you could tell that this person to make ends meet is like doing sex work. And this person like meets mm. somebody at a hotel and, and at some point they pick up their kid, like they're around in the area, but then they sort of go in this hotel to sort of do their thing, just like get a few bucks or whatever. And then it sort of turns violent and they're getting attacked and they're getting beaten and like this person's like about to be killed. And then all of a sudden, like her kid pops into the background, and just like guns down the guy. Like the, the music video ends with her like breathing heavily on the floor because she was just being choked to death and like just trying to catch her breath and her kid i believe like cuddles up to her and just like lays down next to her after killing the guy wow it's a it's a pretty crazy and intense music video i've never seen anything quite like it and you know of course all of those like Mm. okay go music videos are pretty inventive even if the songs like all suck yeah yeah (laughs) the the songs are like inoffensive and sellable yeah like if they had if they didn't have their music videos they would never stand out from the crowd in any sense yes. they would not be able to yes, sell their exactly. music without but the, their videos but the music videos though they're incredible yeah. oh of course that's they, the music videos are the band oh yeah <laughs> you reminded me because the daniels directed mm. those that that one you were talking about with the escalator yeah. they also directed one called joy mm. wave by by okay. tongues that music video is excellent it's a bunch of nudists and there's these people with guns that have clothes in them and they're shooting clothes onto these people and then there's, of course, the turn down for what music video by the yeah, Daniels. Yeah, that, that music video is like, hilarious. Their butt hits yeah, the floor. That music video is great. Yeah, they're fuck, they make some great fucking music videos. Oh, yeah, wow. And those are Emerson alum. I was just going to mention how I feel like a crazy person for not having mentioned any Death Grips music yes! videos. Yes, oh my God. They are so creative. And what I appreciate so much about them is that they're so incredibly effective, but they're done so in a way where they understand their own limitations. So back before they actually had a budget, like now that now a music video like eh can come out where that actually has some production value to it. Like that's a great music video. It's super eh. low budget. It's super like we were saying earlier with the Dogma 95 limitations. You know, it's almost like they went mm-hmm. into some of those music videos with like, okay, you know, these videos need to be limited in this way. It just has to do with like the visual performance yeah. of them on the screen and then just like some really weird psychedelic effects and, and sort of the concepts they go into every music video too, just like is really refreshing and cool. I love the music video for Double Helix. Mm-hmm. I love the music video for Hustle Bones. Mm-hmm. And I especially love the music video for You Think He Loves You For Your Money, whatever that full title is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one's an awesome one where it looks like he's taken the most emotional shit in the world. Yeah. Alex, did you ask your secret question? No, I did no? not. Do we have time for that secret question, and then we'll call it a call it a podcast? Yeah. What's yeah? the secret question? So here's my secret question, right? We're all relatively opinionated people, right? All of our hey. content revolves around our opinions of things, <laughs> at the very yeah. least. And, you know, sometimes those opinions upset some people. So I, I want to know... Out of all of our videos, what what is the video that's kind of upset people the most? And if uh, the negative response to a video has ever gotten to you guys or upset you or whatever, who wants to lead the charge with this one? Anytime I review a superhero movie, the reaction, <laughs> really, yeah. the reaction yeah. is yeah. incredibly negative for the first like month or so. And then after the hype has died down a little, then everybody's like, oh yeah, of course. Like my Amazing Spider-Man <laughs> 2 video... 
my Suicide Squad video, <laughs> like you can still see the the dislike bar. It's not as bad as you know yeah. the first month of the film's release, but uh, yeah, that that's usually where I get a lot of my uh, negative feedback is whenever I review a, a popular superhero film, and then immediately yeah. just like forums where people usually say good things about me they're like i never thought he was a good reviewer ever mm -hmm. <laughs> the tone completely <laughs> shifts and uh yeah. it's it's fun so same, it doesn't get to you here. at all it never gets to you or anything under your nah, skin not really no. i mean i wouldn't be doing Why this if it? it did yeah yeah ralph yeah well uh much like adam the the black panther one that's that's probably the most really yeah the uh, the most i guess controversial but i don't hate the movie i think it's just like whatever I think it's forgettable. Adam just hates all of them. That's why. He's like, these movies are made for fucking babies. That's why people dislike. <laughs> I'm just I'm like, yeah, that was truth. okay. There are people that are that are desperate to hear somebody say that. They're like, thank you. Yeah. But I don't look at the dislikes or well, I do, but I don't I don't look at like the comments. I don't give a shit. It's like, yeah, it's my opinion. You don't have to fucking watch it. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's how I feel. Good. Don't watch me then. Anthony? Yeah, Anthony. <laughs> um well, I, I, as you guys were talking, I did a little bit of uh, research here because I, I found a site called sortbydislikes.com oh, yeah. and I could see yeah, like, literally that. what videos I've gotten the most oh. dislikes on. Oh, oh right. The ratio, um, yeah. And the two reviews that I have the most dislikes on, and we're talking about like 73% to 27% dislikes and 71% to 29% dislikes are um, uh, The Weeknd House of Balloons album review and Kanye West, My Beautiful Dark Twist Fantasy album mm. review. Um, although I will say that the Kanye West one is probably the one that I get the most reactions on because still to this day, like my score on that record, like everybody brings it up and it's just pretty much a meme at this point. What did you um, give it? Like a six? I gave it like a six. I gave it like a six. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, because um, I love that album. So Yeah, I like I gave it a six there. and people just like... Still to this day, are just like you. You gave my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy a six. And, you know, I, I Kanye. And, you know, again, again though, like people by this point when they bring it up, it's it's mostly just a meme. Yeah. But at the mm -hmm. time, like the hatred that people had for that review was really intense. And and keep in mind that like at the time that I came out with that review, my audience was like relatively small. I, maybe, maybe I had like, uh. 9,000 subscribers. Like, maybe. Holy shit. Really? Point. But the thing is, like, that review brought in a whole flood of new viewers. And, like, so all of these people just being introduced to me for the first time ever. And, like, they were just shitting all over me. So, at that this time, that was probably, like, guy. that was probably like, the most negativity I put up with in a concentrated amount of time for the first time. Now the hate that I get every day probably, you know, all over the internet probably dwarfs the, what what I got during that review during that point in time. But it felt very huge to me at the time. And, and it did shake me. It did get to me in a way, you know, it kind of made me sit there and think like, wow, you know, am I, am I wrong on this one? Did I really fuck up? Did I not? Because, I mean, I've been listening to Kanye's music up until this point, but the record to me just like felt kind of average like i felt like it could have been mm -hmm. more interesting considering what it was trying to do and, and i thought that there were some tracks on there that i just genuinely found kind of grating and annoying i i guess i just didn't care for uh what he was trying to attempt on that record you know there's some tracks yeah. on there that i think are really excellent on their own opener's fantastic power is amazing i think it's one of his best tracks but i just prefer uh 
you know, his earlier material and, and his record since he uh, remixed it and changed the sound up of it quite a bit. The Life of Pablo, I think, is I think is one of his best. Mm. Oh, no longer okay. a title exclusive. Yes. Yes. No longer. <laughs> no longer a title exclusive, but still like you, you still can't buy it. You still can't go on <laughs> iTunes and buy it. There's still no physical copies of it. You can only I heard stream about it. the class action lawsuit, but yes, where do you stream yes. it from? but but still, apparently that hasn't changed anything. Like it's still not physically or even digitally available. So mm. you, if you want to listen to it, you just have to stream it. That's interesting. But yeah, that's that's probably the most negativity I've received on a on a single review. The, the weekend review is almost a fluke in a way because it was a negative review, and he does have a lot of hardcore fans who love his shit. And whenever I give a negative review to his stuff, like I I get a lot of downvotes on it, but. Part of the reason I got so much negativity on that review is initially the project was anonymous. So like nobody quite knew or understood who was singing, who was producing, hmm. how many people were involved. And interesting. Um, and, you know, and, and there were some video, there were some grainy videos of like uh, Abel Testface singing. And there was like, you know, another singer like kind of dancing along with him. So, you know, fr- from the outset, Given how consistent the production was, and it was true that early on he was working with like a single producer who in a way was a part of the group, but then Abel ended up taking the sound and just like going to other producers and being like, can you make me something like this? So now he works with a lot of different people to make the music. But at the time when I was sort of working on the review and listening to the stuff, like all of this is still being learned. So in the middle of writing my review, it's suddenly just this flood of information comes out. Mm. where I didn't fully understand the personnel who was involved, who wasn't. And then I dropped the review, like just after all of this came out. So then as soon as the review was out, all the fanboys and all the fangirls like started attacking me right away. Like it's one guy, you fucking idiot. It's not a whole fucking band. You dumbass. <laughs> didn't you know anything? And it's like, listen, like we just learned this now. Like I clearly wrote this like last week as, as this information still had not come out yet. Like, and it, and it's so funny, like what people will jump down your throat about, like when, when they're really passionate about something, mm-hmm. um, even though they themselves don't really know much more about it than you do, because they're just learning at the same rate that you are. But a lot of the downvotes that come with that review come from people just like acting like they know fucking everything about the weekend when they, they only know what's <laughs> available on the internet, just like everybody else. I feel like, um, music is probably a more difficult medium to try and persuade someone to understand your perspective than film you think so well yeah because like uh, music is you can have comments to make on the production quality and i guess the lyricism but most of what people get out of music most music listeners is always just going to be the emotion that they feel or like the tone or the image of the artist that they enjoy and no matter what you say there's always going to be people that they relate to that image and that tone and that feel so much that Mm. that's all that matters in a sense and Mm. i'm not saying that anything more should matter if that's what they want to experience whereas with films i've i've gotten a lot of comments from people if let's say i'm talking about how the entire plot of the movie just falls apart when you start thinking about it that's something where a lot of people can watch and they can be like, you know what? Yeah, you've actually raised a few decent points. And maybe they'll say, yeah, I still enjoy the movie. But yeah, you're right. It's incredibly flawed or something like that. I feel like it's a bit more difficult to make that case when you're reviewing something like music, where it's more expression than narrative in the majority of cases. 
I think what you're describing there, and, and this can apply to films, but mostly films where I think viewers might be super invested in a certain actor or a certain character, like no matter whether the film is technically or narratively great, this person just loves Batman or they just really love Matt Damon, like mm-hmm. no matter what the fuck they do. Yeah, I love Batman. Yeah, what, what you're describing there is just kind of like a cult of personality thing. You know, like some people just fucking love David Bowie. Even his super mediocre late yeah. 80s, early 90s stuff. You know what I mean? But because they're just like hardcore David Bowie fans, no matter what David Bowie does, like it's just amazing. And and it's true. And those people, you, you, you're not going to convince. But there is a decent segment of the music fandom, the music listening population out there, which I think might have expanded in the internet mm-hmm. age because I think it's opened up the musical conversation a lot that essentially approach music listening a lot in the same way that some people approach comic book collecting and Mm -hmm. you know they really want to know about the production aspects of of the record and they really want to know about uh, you know the conditions under which an album was recorded and what the artist was going through and what the narratives of the album were and just basically like the the nitty-gritty details of an album and they basically judge the quality of of a record on on those things alone and, and not as much the uh the cult of personality aspect to it but it's it's true you know you see that follow artists like beyonce everywhere you mm-hmm. know who no matter what she's doing it's like slay queen slay mm-hmm. uh, you see that following <laughs> um you know artists like kanye west everywhere who yep. with some people you just cannot say a single bad yep. thing about kanye, kanye west, west however, is one of those artists for sure <laughs> however there there is like a decent subsection of his fan forum kanye too though who, who are big fans of what i do you know what i mean so as as stubborn as as some people like that might be, a lot of them are are open to hearing alternative perspectives. So, Alex, yeah, for sure. Well, I've pissed off pretty much every fan base in existence. Oh, so. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's basically your your mo. Except <laughs> Mars bars. Uh, that's a common baby. <laughs> I hear you're still getting like lots of harassment from the fans of Dust. <laughs> Constantly. They call themselves Dust Defenders. Dust, bu- dust bunnies. Yeah, dust bunnies, dust defenders. Dust bunnies. They still send you hate mail, death threats. <laughs> One that stands out to dust me are the uh, are the Sonic the Hedgehog fans. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Because <laughs> I fucking hate Sonic. I mean, if they're still a fan in this generation, it's like, of course they have to be diehard. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like if you're if you're a fan during like 2010 Sonic, especially like <laughs> that's a special breed of. I just find it funny, like yeah. shit. Like the only thing that ever gets to me is when I I stumble across like a comment chain or somewhere on Reddit where people are like quoting things that they think I've said, and I'm just like, I've never said anything even remotely similar to that. You're just oh, completely yeah. I love misquoting. Those. It's I like fucking love those. The urge to 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 reply to them has to be subdued because it's like, god damn it, yeah. <laughs> just fuck off. Well, Alex, you you're the only one who's managed to make light of it by taking their comments and putting it in, in its own show on your channel and then making money off of it, which is brilliant. That's yeah, the so the more controversy, the better for you. Yeah. I just like, feel the... like it encourages more people to leave stupid comments when you do that. that well, that's good. He makes video. more money that way. It's brilliant. I've, I've actually, I've, I've looked through so many comments now. Um, I, I want to say I'm pretty good at being able to weed out... Um, the ones which are obviously fake. Um, mm-hmm. There are certain signs you can look for, little secrets of the uh, the comment trade that um, you can delve into. Little secrets oh, okay. that you guys are not allowed to know, only I can know. <laughs> mm. You're the expert. 
Yeah, it's my forte. All right. Nice. Um, I guess that about uh, wraps up this podcast. Uh, everybody yeah. said yeah. what they wanted to say. We do have one of you has a movie to recommend. Don't Alex you? Does. I oh, hope yeah, it's you, me. I hope you thought about it. Yeah, I thought about it. Okay. Yeah, I thought, <laughs> I thought about it. All right. So this this time, seeing as my first choice was kind of a, a UK-based film, mm. I thought I'd go for with my other homeland, a film from there. I was I, I was born in New Zealand, so I like <gasps> films from New Zealand. Um, a Kiwi. So my recommendation is a Taika Waititi film from 2010 nice. called Boy. I don't know if you guys have seen it or not. I haven't seen it. Um, I haven't. Have you oh seen it, Adam? God, another one. No, I have not. Awesome. I did it again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we boy. did it. <laughs> I also um, have not seen it yeah. for the Wilder people. But yeah. Oh, really? Oh, that's a huh. good one, too. Yeah, this guy's one of my favorite uh, directors. Um, awesome. I look forward to seeing good. what good you guys choice. think. All right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Anybody uh, listening to the podcast, you should also check out this film before... Uh, the next episode, which will be two weeks from now, because we will be having a spoiler discussion on this film, Boy, by Taika. Yeah, I hope it's easy Boy. to find, because the last one I picked was kind of a nightmare for some people yeah. to actually get their hands on. But oh, Boy. It's probably out Boy. All right, thank but you, most uh... importantly, listen to my channel and watch my channel <laughs> and subscribe. Yeah, that's I'm right. the best YouTuber, number one. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much thank for, you for joining on. us. Yeah, and, thank you. Fandango. Thanks uh, for woo. having me on. It's woo. it's been fun. It's been very fun. We did it.